Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. September brings to us episode 278, wherein Graham McMillan and I gab about comics, TV, and engage in some very regrettable musical impersonations. Join us for descriptions and discussions of Doomsday Clock number 11, as well as the present and future career of Jeff Johns, the latest issues of House of X and Powers of X, the current run of The Green Lantern by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp, Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky, Marco Cicchetto and Sonny Gao, the great British baking show, Million Pound Menu, My Pink is Overflowing, and much, much more in this two-and-a-half-hour installment. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Patreon, and Spotify. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello there, Jeff. I've got to interrupt you immediately to tell you the best news. Please do. It's not fucking sweltering here in Portland. Oh, sweet Jesus. I'm so glad. I'm so I, glad. I can't tell you how happy I am <laughs> that it's kind of overcast and it was raining earlier. Oh. Uh, it's like there's almost a bit of chill in the air and... I this is this is you know the greatest news that has happened in in living memory, Jeff. I, I think that's it's the only thing I can say. It's it's you know this could be the greatest thing that's ever happened in the planet Earth. I I absolutely agree, and I appreciate your um you trying to issue uh, hyperbole. That's really it's a lovely thing. Well, I didn't want to go too far. I, I agree. I agree, and I think kept, I think he kept, kept it to a sensible level. Yeah, understated. I I'd yeah. say understated. Yeah. 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 I mean, I try. <laughs> I try to be understated. I, I. Some people. I see. I was going to say some people have said I'm the best. Then I was like, Oh God, I'm just starting to Trump. <laughs> it's really, He's even ruined hyperbole, Jeff. Uh, hi. How are you doing? I, I, for the intents and purposes of this podcast, am fine and focused. <laughs> a part of part of me is like filled with all sorts of uh, random off mic bitchery that I I <gasps> will not. I can't wait. No, I can't wait. Uh, you... I, I mean, I will. I'll wait until we're done. Good, but I can't wait. <laughs> also, can't wait. I also have some off mic bitchery to share. What nots? Let me just tell you, and let me put this. Uh, to, to bed and all of your minds. I'm pretty sure Jeff's is not, and mine definitely is not, comic related off mic bitchery at yes, all. Yeah. So you're you're not missing any like fun juicy gossip. Yeah, that is that is absolutely completely right. And there's a For, certain mine, mine is job related and I'm pretty sure yours is probably job related too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and yeah. I mean and there's certain levels I I always prefer to keep the whatnots in, in involved and engaged when possible. Uh, with too much information, but in this particular case, I feel I must, instead of pulling back the curtain, I must pull it forward and even do that little tuck at the corner to make sure. Okay, see, now you've got me curious. I also have another utterly random question to ask you, which I'll ask first. Sure. This is a really genuinely random question. Have you had the song Wooly Bully in your head in the last couple of days? No. Okay, because I have. And I know I'm not the only person for whom that's the case. Really? And I'm wondering if, like, Wooly Billy has been on television or something. Hmm. You mean you Very... literally the... checked with other people and they're like, yes, me too? Because I've said, like, I, you know what's in my head? Wooly Billy. And they've been like, me too. Huh. 
weirdest thing. Um, other random question, just because you were talking about the curtain and tucking. Yes. Where do you fall on the issue of hospital coroners on a bed? Uh, at the corners? I, no, no, no. I, I think I, I, think I know pro, what you're... Pro against... Pro or con or pro anti, I guess, would be the appropriate thing. Well, I, I've, I've got to say, I would say that I'm pro in theory, but in practice, my inability to do anything physical with any degree of neatness uh, means that, that my, my soul is pro, my hands are anti, if that makes sense. <laughs> Why, why, Graham? Do I is this is this well, no, an just issue you going on? You mentioned you mentioned tucking curtains. Oh yes. and on, that seemed like overkill. <laughs> and I was like, well, if he's tucking curtains, then he's got to be one of those people who, like, when he makes a bed, like, really gets into it. Yeah, I I I have enjoyed it. I it, it is not a thing that um uh that I think I did before Edie, but Edie is definitely uh like. The sheets go down snug under the mattress, and I'm kind of a yeah. You tuck it in to you know keep it from hanging out. But she's like, dang. And I have to say, there's <laughs> such a there's a real pleasure to like your last chore of the evening is breaking into the place where you're going to sleep. You know, oh, there's something that's uh, just kind of like breaking in, as in like getting into bed. Yeah, getting into I bed. Thought going, yeah. I thought you were going to say you love making your bed just before you get into it because no, that is that is something that genuinely upsets me. If I have not made the bed and it gets to, like time to sleep and I go and see the bed, is like I have to actually – when I say make the bed, I mean put the sheets on the bed. Like I've washed mm-hmm. the sheets and I, that, that can, honestly can ruin my night for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I take it weirdly personally even though it's my own fault. Wow. Interesting. I really do. I'm always just like, why? Like, why are these sheets not magically on the fucking bed? Oh, but that's like, after you've washed them. You mean? Yeah. 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 No, I agree, like, and I'm the same like, way. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll get them out of the dryer and I'll put them on the bed and I'll, I inevitably be like, I'll deal with this later, right. and will then forget, and then I'll get to, to time to sleep, right. and I'll go and they'll still be on, on like on top of the bed in a pile, mm-hmm. or folded if we're going to pretend that that's what happens. <laughs> I, I literally just after saying that shook my head as if the whatnots could see me. You just no, no. <laughs> I'm doing visual cues, whatnots. Yeah, uh, Graham's visual cues. We should, you know, would be great would be to make a little like almost like those uh, uh, airplane safety cards that are just your your little visual cues. You know, so it's like a little shot of you like waving and then it'll have the little red arrow as your arm goes out and then shaking Uh, your head. And hmm? I thought you were going to say sound effects. I love the idea that I'd be like, I'd say something and then people would hear. (laughs) I I have always, always uh, resented my my lack of um, for energy when it comes to editing the podcast because. Because there is part of me that just wants to completely overdo the sound effects, make it like the worst what we should morning drive by show ever. You know, what it's... we should do, and I'm saying this so that you know, to kind of put it out there to guilt us into doing it mm-hmm. before Christmas. Let's actually do like a sound effect episode. Oh my god! All right, okay. You know, it's. Uh, I just realized it's a. Da- this is the first time, literally the. First 
time I've regretted not reading Doomsday Clock because reading issue 12 (laughs) of Doomsday Clock with sound effects would be the best. Complete with the ticking noises and like discussing it, and then and then when Doctor Manhattan, you know what I mean? Like we could always okay, have that. I, 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 noise. I see if I am on record as saying that Doomsday Clock is not that bad. Yeah, I know, Graham. Um, well, you also yeah, well, have been proven a liar with each that successive was, that, issue. That this is kind of where I'm going uh, because I want to tell the whatnots um, the best thing about Doomsday Clock issue eleven. Which I'm I'm sure everyone here listening is aware of. Uh, it's a comic that is like, you know, six months late or something. So obviously they spent a lot of time on it. Jeff, are you ready for me to tell you the best thing about Doomsday Clock Eleven? Absolutely. The back cover design, which has seen the uh, red flow over the clock mm-hmm. for the last ten issues, is revealed that it's not blood; it's Superman's cape. That is the best thing about Doomsday Clock Eleven. Let's move on. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. All right. Well, yes. Okay. No, but so... I mean, I, no, also, Gary Frank's art is lovely. He, Gary, like, Gary Frank's art is lovely. Yeah, yeah I, I but, have to say. I, yeah. But I honestly, you know, I, I think I think those two things are the nicest things I could say about Doomsday Clock Issue 11. Yeah. Well, and I have to admit, I, I said I was not going to read the book, and then... Um, you know, once I got the subscription to DC Universe, first off, you know, because it's because it's 12 months behind, it means they're up to, you know, issue six, I think, of Doomsday yeah. Clock. And um, and so I, I've I've read it up to that point. And um, halfway, Jeff. Yeah, I know. So part of me is kind of when I said that, like, oh, it's such a shame. I really do mean it's such a shame that I, I guess I'm not reading it in real time because – my, you yeah, know, you say in real time. I am not. I wasn't exaggerating that much when I said that issue six, issue eleven was like six months late. No, no, like that's it what really I mean. was yeah. drastically late. Yeah. Um, and there's some evidence of flop sweat on Jeff John's part. Oh yeah. Uh, in 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 eleven in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. While it's possible that is exactly the issue he always thought he'd be writing for the second last issue, mm-hmm. I would be very surprised if that was the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the issue is essentially two very long info dumps. Oh, God. Explaining the the previous ten issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, explaining them in such a way that I quite believe that like the great greater plot is what John's always intended. Mm-hmm. But the nature of the reveals, i.e. literally someone just telling the audience, mm-hmm. is so underwhelming as to be either shocking or amusing, depending how strong your schadenfreude is. Well, okay. Admittedly, my schadenfreude is pretty strong. Uh, but, at the same time, I'm kind of curious. I mean, we don't know how 12's going to, you know, uh, end up. But how did John's presumably bung it up so badly? I, and what I, what I guess what I mean is, how do I put it? Oh, 
You know, actually, it's so funny. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I had a realization about Watchmen and one of the reasons why, even though it it is, you know, for for many, a tedious book that's past its prime, there is a sort of thematic uh, through line in it that makes it a very hard book to beat. Um, and I'll I'll circle back to that, I hope. But before I get there... I I want to say like I feel that John's had thought that he had nailed the Watchmen esque more Gibbons nine panel pacing, mm-hmm. and I think it led him astray. I think I it led I, him I, into yeah. the weeds. I think that's I honestly think that's very true. Um, I think it's you're at issue six, and I won't say it's around six or seven, where it becomes very clear that John's is not in control of the story, mm-hmm. and it becomes very, very clear around issue eight or nine. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. At some point, there's a time jump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and that actually might even be issue ten. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. um, but the time jump is such where you realize like he's having to do it to get to the end of the story mm-hmm. and the info dump in issue 11 is the same he has to do it to get to the end of the story that's right which is really underscores the fact that he lost he just lost control of the yeah. story yeah. he just lost track of it he was uh yeah i think he thought i don't want to say that i think he thought that watchman was easy but I think that he thought that he could essentially do what Moore did in Watchmen easier than it in, – in a way that's yes. far harder than, to pull off than he thought. Yes. And so his pacing is very – I mean extremely slow. Yeah. In especially like the first four issues of the series. Right, right. Um, but he also just sets up things that essentially just – fuck off and don't get re- uh, exactly because like, the pacing because there is some level at which his pacing is it, it 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 just it gets away from you there's something that's actually really seductive uh, i think about the the nine panel grid i'm also kind of thinking about um and this is this is really unfair because i haven't gone back and revisited it in so long but i remember sort of a similar having a sort of a semi-similar realization about david lapham's stray bullets where the first couple of storylines you know and i think he's working in a six or nine panel grid i don't remember because it's literally been so long but one of the things that really helps the pages is the pages really do seem to flow by it's in that sense it's very immersive in part because everything is so regular your eye gets into it and it can just move right along. And I think as a pacing cue for the storyteller, um, there's this idea of like, okay, I know the beat that I'm supposed to hit at the end of the page and I have a rough sense of the sequence of things and, and roughly the pacing of it. But, but I think it, it, it lulls can really lull the storyteller. Cause I remember with stray bullets getting to the point where, I don't know, 20 issues in, or maybe I'm not even sure if I made it to the thirties or not, where it just seemed like he, he just kept not getting there. Like, and there was a little bit of the, considering some of the, the stuff that he hinted at in the early issues, 
you know, there's sort of these, like, how are these plot threads going to resolve? How are these things going to tie together? And as things went on, um, you know, Lapham had a real great, is a really enjoyable, visceral storyteller. But as things went on, it was like, oh, he's, it, it, it just, it unfortunately lends itself too easily to digressiveness. And it, and, and I think that's definitely partially what happened mm-hmm. with, with Doomsday Clock. But there's also, uh, I'm trying, because I don't, I actually genuinely don't want to spoil Doomsday Clock for you because I do believe you're going to end up reading the, the, the series. Yeah. But when you get to the info dump mm-hmm. portion of the series, which is, say, issue 11, Mm-hmm. And honestly, even with issue 10, mm-hmm. um, as the story heads into its third act, it very quickly becomes clear that uh, – like I don't like Watchmen, right? But mm-hmm. I know that Watchmen is a very smart piece of work. Mm-hmm. And for all that I think that Moore's character work rings false and like it's it's every, everything feels very – like you feel the hands of the author very strongly. Mm-hmm. Like it's an intricate story, mm-hmm. right? Right. Doomsday Clock is not. Yeah, and right. when you get to the, you know, ha-ha, here's the big reveal, mm-hmm. it's so um, simple and also nonsensical mm. as to not be frustrating. I mean, yes, frustrating, but uh, I was going to say frustrating in the sense of, like, being angering, which is it's far too strong because, mm-hmm. honestly – Doomsday Clock has become such an irregular comic. That's right. Like, oh, that's still, oh, that's still a thing. Okay. Um, but there's – like it stops you short with the feeling of that's it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's it? That's your big reveal? Right. Because Doomsday Clock in the first half – the first two-thirds even – sets up a lot of uh, – I struggle to say potential, but set, set a lot of mysteries – and a lot of things where if followed through to their conclusion, or e- even if just taken on, on their face, um, significantly upends a lot of things about DC mythology. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you have the Superman project, you have mm-hmm. uh, uh, essentially like uh, a, a literal arms race mm-hmm. of, of I, not a literal arms race, an arms race, because there's no arms involved, an arms race of of superhumans around the world with various countries essentially, you know, using them in the place of, of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like things that really would, again, if, if taken seriously, if, if taken on the face of them, if taken through their, their conclusion, drastically change the reality of, of DC mythology. Mm-hmm. And the reveal in issue 11 is, is honestly facile. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the, 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 infamous moment in Watchmen 12 where Ozymandias makes a comment about, you know, Amaya, uh, or was it Republic movie supervillain or something like that? The 35 minutes ago. Yeah. That thing. Which is, I think, the end of issue 11 or it, 10 or something. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah. it's right. The reference to essentially, like, I am not a cliched supervillain. Yes. Right. To not spoil things. <laughs> the plot here is the plot of a cliched supervillain. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I'd love to give Johns the benefit that I really would love to give the Johns the benefit of the doubt and be like, oh, but that he's making some sort of comment about the the nature of DC reality versus the nature of of Watchmen reality. Mm-hmm. 
but he's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I genuinely would love to give him that benefit of the doubt. But if he is doing that, I don't feel it is in any way backed up by the rest of the book. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's that is uh, disappointing, but also unsurprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the nature with which the, this information is revealed is so pedestrian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That you can't help but feel that, like, you know, the book has been stumbling for a while. Mm-hmm. It's been delayed for a while. Mm-hmm. Not only does this issue feel like it was written in a rushed manner, and mm-hmm. it really does. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult not to think that the reason that for the delay is that John's just realized that he can't finish it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, yeah I he's think... genuinely been struggling with how do I do this? And then eventually he's just like, fuck it, I've just got to bite the bullet. Yeah, exactly. I've got to turn down a script after after months of just probably the worst stomach aches in the world. And then being like, fuck it, I've, I can't. Like that idea of sitting down or who knows. But yeah, I think it, I think it is, it, it was... It, it really is ironic, you know, that that one of the things about Watchmen is so about the hubris of of someone who thinks that they can bend their reality to their hands just kind of because they say so, you know, like they're kind of like, no, I'm I'm the greatest guy on Earth and I'm totally going to save everything, you know. And it's kind of it is kind of the Schadenfreude that is that seems thematically appropriate is watching John's like step up as you know arguably the most successful writer at DC Comics for a, a long period of time, uh, mm-hmm. and if nothing else, you know, in terms of where he had risen to in the company, like the most successful you know yeah yeah and and just saying like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take this on and there was a little bit of the like and i want everybody to watch me do this um and then just and then just having his ass handed to him on a plate now admittedly that may not happen in issue 12 one of the things that i did realize in thinking a little bit because you know doomsday clock i i almost all but giggled just looking at the cover of doomsday clock number 11 which is a hand on one of the turn i'm assuming a hand on one of the turnkeys that launches the nuclear weapons and Batman's hand gripping that hand, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, part of me is like, that's a really, I like how much that can communicate in a single image, I suppose, Mm -hmm. particularly because it's all, it it sort of takes that level of of, um, Watchmen's cover, you know, almost abstraction, and then, and then so clearly, I don't want to say upends it, but really just putting in that Batman hand tells you so much. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, that right there is 
kind of a story. And I think I think mm-hmm. there might be something about to me the part that resonated is that idea of once you have the DC heroes in a story like it just it just morphs things in the weird way that the observer and the observed are. But but part of that is you know, for better or for worse, or really for better and for worse, um, you know, by not making it about the Atlas characters, by sitting down with Dave Gibbons, more in Gibbons bring a unified sensibility to the world and to the characters. And they're, they all, they all feel like they're supposed to belong. And, the thing about a superhero universe, a shared superhero universe, is Batman was not created with Superman in mind, or vice versa, you know? And it's it's this it's this amazing thing when you sort of put this tapestry together, but it but it's kind of an illusion. And because it's kind of an illusion, um it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't hold together as a unified whole and i mean i think that it sort of weirdly made me think of um ugh, to really date myself and and underline my pretentiousness um you know one of grant morrison's early favorite works uh, gerdel escher bach an eternal golden braid by douglas hofstetter talks about you know the mathematician kurt gerdel and and his discover his mathematical proof that a closed system cannot adequately describe all the elements of the system in a way mm-hmm. that was kind of mind-blowing, the breakthrough of paradox and infinity and all the potential resonances that that has. One of the joys, I think, about the DC universe is because all the pieces don't fit, there's always going to be you can't put everything in one box and uh and once you embrace that what what you're what you end up with is basically delight i suppose you know particularly for dc where the things that are so almost lovably incongruent are next to each other and that gives yeah. you a sense of deli- uh, delight and wonder in things whereas with Watchmen, one of the things that I, I realized, talk about being slow to the party, is, you know, whatever else you say, as you say, it, you know, the hand of the author is perhaps too strongly felt in Watchmen. And yet, all of Moore's, the, the ultra interconnected, tied offedness of... Um, Moore's formalism, e- even before you get to Watchmen, where you know his scene transitions are those sort of juxtapositions of you know someone saying something at the end of one scene and the rest of their comment popping up at the beginning of the next scene, and what they're saying <clears throat> is like a pun <clears throat> off of what you're seeing. Like that level of interconnectedness literally is the point of watchmen you know and... yeah yeah and, and is is very um murian for one of a better way of putting it exactly. like you did you can't have you can't have watchmen without that yeah you know it's 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 literally one of the hallmarks of that world if you take that world and it's on its 
on its basis, like that's yes. as part of it. Right. And so and so in that regard, it is such the by by taking the thematic concerns and tying them to Moore's own uh, artistic or craftsman like um, uh, strengths, it's it's you know it's a really fucking hard piece of metal to break or even to reforge in a way, and so it just is. It, in a way, I really do. I'm like. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy ass fool's errand to try and beat it on its own terms because if nothing else, like despite what you know, if Johns had tried to do a version of Watchmen that was Johns, you know what I mean? And I don't even <laughs> really know per se. I mean, you see flashes of what makes John's John's I think within doomsday clock. And it's fascinating to me how much he thinks that it's a strong chunk of Watchmen, but I think that it's not nearly as strong as he thinks that he is. And then also once you throw in the pacing and things, he's just going to end up in the weeds, you know? Well, see, I, I'd actually, I think I'd be kinder to, Doomsday Clock and John's success mm-hmm. um, in the in the earlier issues, at least, mm-hmm. uh, than you would be. But I mean, it it honestly is impossible to avoid mm-hmm. by the time you get to like issues nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, just how short John's is falling, and not even falling from the idea of like you know I'm going to beat Al Murray's own game, which I don't, I, I don't even think that was, Oh, his I intention. don't think it was his intention at all. No, absolutely. but, but, um, but not like it, it falls short. Like it falls short. It's a coherent story. Right. You know, yeah. uh, it, 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 it has to meet, it has to make such, um, some, such leaps and, and such cheats, even just to try and complete the plot. Mm hmm. And I think that I think that Johns really did because I, I feel looking at some of the things that that happen in Doomsday Clock, I realize that um, I can kind of tend to underestimate Johns. I think or take for granted some of his um, significant strengths, and one of those is he is very good at teasing out the connective tissue between seemingly unrelated things. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's, he's quite good about that. One of the things that was pretty charming at first anyway, was the idea that he was, okay, I'm going to take two, you know, if, if the Watchmen characters sort of came from the Charlton characters, I'm going to take two uh, of, you know, Ditko's, Charlton characters and I'm going to watchmanize them and I'm going to put them at the center of this story, you know, Mm -hmm. line. And I'm also going to tell them and deal with them in very, you know, in a very Moore-esque way. And it was kind of initially it was like, oh, holy shit, that is. That's that's kind of bold and that's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. But again, they serve no fucking purpose. No, they really don't. Like they show up again for the first time. In, in issues, in issue 11, oh, but in such a way that it's honestly 
like, because, I, I, again, I might be misremembering. I'm fairly sure they fucked off with the Joker the last time you saw them. Mm. And now they're basically just generic Joker minions. Mm. You know, and it's like, again, you lost track of your story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it there's just there's there's a lot going on that uh oof. anyway there's there's a lot that uh there's a lot of shit that John's got for Doomsday Clock that honestly is undeserved like i saw a lot of people making fun of like his his issue titles and like his epigraphs at the end of the issues mm-hmm. and you know i think that forgets just how shitty some of the watchmen ones are as well <laughs> but but there's like there there are it's it's completely unrealistic to be like no Doomsday Clock is completely you know you can't give John shit for Doomsday Clock at least he's being ambitious because sure he's being ambitious but he by the end of it utterly fails to follow through in the ambition oh again yeah. who knows what issue twelve is going to be like sure sure right? yeah but based on issue eleven and honestly based on issues like eight through eleven mm-hmm. um it. I, I, it, the book is kind of falling apart. The series is is kind of falling apart. And honestly, but it's here. Okay, here's the strange thing. You mm-hmm. may or may not remember that I told you before, and I'm fairly sure I said it on this podcast. So I'm not revealing anything new. That when Rebirth special came out, right? I talked to Johns. I did an interview with Johns, and after the interview, Johns told me what his planned end uh, end to the Doctor Manhattan thing was. Mm-hmm. What he was planning to do. Oh, really? Actual end end. Yes. Wow. And technically, he can still do it with where Doomsday Clock is your 11 ends. Uh-huh. However, the fact that he can, and Doomsday Clock issues 1 through 11 have taken place, and haven't changed that. Right. Perhaps speaks to how ultimately unnecessary Doomsday Clock has turned out to be. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, it, it, I think that will, I think that will kind of be the case which uh, oh no we'll see we'll see anyway it just it really was uh there was some awareness of um there of the the cost that there there just it just seemed like there was um uh thinking about it real like making some realizations about watchmen and john's and and in a weird, like, sports newscaster kind of way, it's like, it's kind of curious to see where he'll go from here, Graham. You know, because... Oh, I just... John's, you mean? Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know. Cause, I mean, you saw that DC canceled the, the orders for Shazam, right? Oh, no. I did not see that. Yeah, because so Shazam is very late. Shazam is, like, if we thought Doomsday Clock was late, Shazam is fucked. Mm. Uh, Shazam is, I want to say, nine months late now. <gasps> what? It's really off schedule. It's dr- drastically off schedule. Bear in mind the issue. The series launched in November last year, and I think issue six has come out, and I think that's it. Wow. Oh. Um. So yes, yeah, Shazam has gone way off. So between that and Doomsday Clock being really late, and I mean Doomsday Clock is still a hit, but sure. You know, it's it's also underperforming where it should be. Mm-hmm. You know. Doomsday Clock should be, like, the only comic that people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Like, as a side, who the fuck is talking about Doomsday Clock anymore? No, no, I, it's true. It's true. My my Twitter timeline is, I don't even know if anyone mentions it. Exactly. Even notice the issue 11 came out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right? Or if they did, it was to make fun of the fact that it was so late. Yeah. Um, 
I I honestly don't know where John's goes. The kind of obvious mm-hmm. answer is somewhere that isn't DC. Well, I was about to say, yeah, right. I guess it's true. He's always said he wanted to work for Marvel, and of course, Marvel would happily. Oh, it, it would be snap him up first, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, the it, you know, we'll see if that happens, mm-hmm. but. Like the obvious next step is is somewhere that isn't DC, right? It's just, because, uh, like, how, what does that even look like? Because, to be utterly cynical, Johns hasn't shown that he can produce, like, on a timely basis anymore. Well, uh, so it, so I think it, I think it depends. I mean, because it, it is a. That the guy's got a variety of mitigating factors, you know, going on there. And I still think that, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like when, when I'm like Marvel snapped up Neil Gaiman and that guy is not someone I associate with the word produce, you know, well, yeah, like, that, I mean, very true. So, so I don't, I don't necessarily know. It kind of depends on how much he feels. He feels like producing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's, I think there's a lot of that. I think that John's is, you know, he may well have ended up parlaying his time behind the scenes um, for the various DC stuff to where he can, you know, branch out. Uh, into into areas in Hollywood that might be a little that he well, might yeah. think are a little uh, more honestly, lucrative to him or something. You know, that might just be it. He mm-hmm. might be like, "Fuck it, I wrote Aquaman." Yeah, you know, yeah. I wrote Shazam, like yeah. the movies. Yeah, I'm I'm just like I'm. This is where I'm going to stay instead. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and you know, so good I mean, luck to it, him. well, no, but I mean, at that point, Hollywood is kind of. I mean, they're. It's not it's not MCU levels of success, but but if the considering considering how desperate people are, like I I sure that Universal's uh, you know revamped MonsterVerse is is Dio is dead, no pun intended. Yeah, oh no, I'm I'm fairly sure they've actually announced that. Yeah, yeah, but but you know someone else, people who have been sitting there being like, fuck, we're we're still no closer to cracking the code on this transformers gi joe mask shared cinematic universe hey you know jeff johns is you know available this guy's done a lot uh, particularly when it comes to synergy um you know let's just throw mounds of money at him and he can be like yeah i've always wanted to do mask you know which I weirdly enough can imagine that he actually exactly has. right. Let's See, that's, there's about eight people in Hollywood <laughs> who could say that with a straight face and mean it. And I honestly, it would not surprise me if Johns is one of them. It would not surprise me at fucking all. So you know, so yeah, I it, but it is it is kind of curious in a. Uh, uh, let me pivot. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, like, how do you think the old. Uh, Let's do the hox pox tox jocks or hox pox jocks tox. I just love the fox and socks hox pox thing. How um, do you I, think I've, it's going? I'm exhausted. <laughs> right? I, I'm exhausted. I'm it's the point where by this point, honestly, I'm like, I don't know if I'm even going to read the books when these miniseries finish. 
You know, I kind of, well, I kind of get it, actually. I, I was surprised by, like, the the first couple of, the first, you know, it's so hard to, since they flip and alternate. Let's say the first th- three or four, which were the real I mean, it's one breakers. series, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, so it's kind of, I don't even see that's the problem. The first three issues, I think, are, are were super brain-breaking. Yes. Uh, and then the next two. The, I would say, yeah, I we've got we've had uh, seven issues out so far. Have we? Jesus. Yes. God. Okay. And I honestly think like the last three have suffered very dramatically from being far less overwhelming. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, cause, right. The first three really were like, oh my god, this is like shit. What is he doing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, honestly, the, like the last two issues of House of X mm-hmm. have been really like sh- straightforward stories. Yes. You know, like like straightforward, not doing anything, no big reveals, any of it, mm-hmm. um, and have suffered because of that. Yeah, like it's just been like, okay, it's like this is a fucking X Men comic, sure. Um, but honestly, the cumulative effect of all of it is it's been seven weeks where I'm exhausted. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> it's true. It. I mean, that's the that is the weird part is is that it is a it is a weekly event that is kind of a meat grinder. I mean, on the yeah, it's got to be said. I think weekly ended up being the wrong choice for this. Yeah, which is fascinating. Like, remember how like Marvel would bait and switch and do like a weekly launch and then switch to like monthly or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I almost think that they should have changed gears after that. Yes. After that one-two punch. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think they basically should have done like the first two issues of both books are weekly. Yep. Then we're going to switch to one issue of each title a month. So you're essentially getting a bi-weekly book. Yeah. Because yeah. it because it is like it, it it's it feels like too much, mm-hmm. and so it feels like too much and also underwhelming. Yeah, which is weird, isn't it? I mean, it's... To the point where, like, I guess, like, maybe... Because my takeaway really is, like, I guess maybe I'm just not into this at all. Right, right. Like, well, I'm into the I'm into the sort of, in a weird way, like, the abstractness of being really bold with a, a commercial franchise. But honestly, as soon as he's like, ha-ha, like, you've read the latest issue of House of X, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which is that uh, part two of the big extended action yes, sequence, yes. right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So you get to the spoilers, everyone. You get to the big action sequence that kills the main characters of the book off. Yeah. And my first thought, honestly, was like, "Well, I don't care anymore." Mm-hmm. What well, you, you know, mean... like you've already given us the answer that there's clones. There's going to be clones at some point, so they're going to clone them. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm done. Like honestly, my first thought was like, I, I feel like I've checked out the story. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I do know what you mean. I actually I guess you know what it is is part of it is um Yeah, it it feels it feels a little bit like uh uh I want I keep wanting to say like I keep thinking of like McMansions or like Chinese cities, you know, where it's where it's like he he put forward such an immediate speedy amount of groundwork in those first four issues that you're like holy shit okay let me hold on to my chair and then 
but of course, everything that is layered in there is barely anything to do with the characters, you know? And so when you get to the last two issues that we just made it through, one of the things that is supposed to be so evocative is seeing the battle between, you know, the human science force and the X-Men. And and weirdly, I just have this thing of like, I don't know who any of these people are. One of the things that I like is Hickman by using Claremont-esque shorthand is able to establish people's relationships, especially on the human side, in mm-hmm. the fact of like, he's like, by having two characters call each other love all the time, which is such yeah. a Claremont-y thing. And yet it does. It's like, okay, the shorthands, who these characters are, and by using the Claremont language with them, it's kind of like, oh, you can even see how these guys are... Uh, you know, viewed through another lens, the Claremont-esque heroes who are in the impossible fight against the X-Men. However, there's not... It's it's only just kind of pointing over there. And maybe part of it is is that Hickman's like, yeah, you know, use your imagination, dummies. Start writing fanfic or, you know, just read mine. But there's that weird feeling of like, I'm like, but I don't, I don't know who any of these characters are. I mean, I know their names... I I've read their little dossier, but it's it's kind it's that thing that happens to me with Jonathan Hickman's writing yet a fucking again where I'm sitting there being like this guy must be one hell of a dungeon master because reading this blow by blow account of what happened at his D&D game last night. Um, shows that he has a lot of ideas, but you don't, I don't care. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in it. Cause I, so I don't care about it. Like you said, the stuff with the clones, even with the stuff of the clones aside, maybe because, and maybe this is Hickman doing his job too well. It's like, I've come back to the X books for the first time in a long time. I don't know who these I don't know who Cyclops <laughs> is. You know what I mean? I know what his name I know what name he answers to. I know what he does. I know but in terms of like who that guy is, like who is that guy? Well no, that's but that's that is uh that's a perpetual Hickman problem, right? Right. Hickman Hickman can't do character. Hickman is great at big ideas. Mm-hmm. Which is where the initial issues of these series, this series, whatever you want to call it lay mm-hmm. the big ideas you know we were all blown away by the the scope we were all blown away by the the immensity of the retcon of mm-hmm. moira mm-hmm. um but there's no character work in the first three four issues right and now you get to the point where you know cyclops and magneto and and, and xavier are talking about you know let's do this invasion none of the characters sound like themselves Except maybe uh, Magneto for the most part. Except, except, true. Yeah. But is that a plot point? Right. Or, like, is is this just what they sound like now? Right. And that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Right? It is. No, it absolutely I, is. And I, and yeah. You know, part of me is like, well, it's me because I don't like Hickman and because, honestly, I've not been keeping up with X-Men books. Mm-hmm. 
But then you look at the number of people who do keep up with the X-Men books who are like, Xavier's acting out of character. Something's got to be up. Right. And part of me's like, but does it though? Right. <laughs> what if Eggman just writes Xavier that way? Right. No, I, I, I kind of think that, and, and this is the, 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 the scope and the speed and everything that seemed very exciting and, and was genuinely exciting. Uh, I wish that they had changed gears because I kind of feel like the whole thing is, feels, you know, halfway over in a way that is like, wait. And, you know, like you said, there's going to be these new books, but I'm like, I don't know if I care like i mean i'm not entirely even sure how much of of what's happening is going to like part of me is like do we have enough info piece together that the end of this series is going to lead into the blanks that you know a clean new slate of it's myra's next life we've got all this other stuff like ridiculous amounts of stuff seated and then, you know, you kind of get to that sort of, you know, frisson of like, oh, does this mean that this is happening and this is falling into this piece of the puzzle? I kind of don't think so. But I just kind of feel like um, I just kind of feel like I'm having expensive food thrown at me. You know, it's like faster than I can eat it. Like the waiter sets down the next dish. And before I know it, the meal's going to be over and I'm just going to have a lot of heartburn. And there's going to be the feeling that there's a lot of undigested food so it's it's also you know with the release of of next week's issue which is going to be powers of 10 issue four mm-hmm. we will be two-thirds through the story yeah uh we will be in theory heading into this, the final act which is crazy it just feels like it's barely but also, started Jeff, yeah mm-hmm. at this point do you even know what the story is uh i mean I, I, I right. Do I know what the story is from what i can gather i do think that I was going to say that I thought that the majority of where this is going is powers of X powers of 10 ended with my Moira's ninth life or 10th life, you know? And so she's got another life. Powers, powers of 10. Uh, we now know that the, that's the prequel. hundred years, X, right? Or yeah. A no? hundred years in the future mm-hmm. scenes and powers of 10 are definitely Moira's ninth life. Right. And whether the yes. the year zero and year ten are Moira's ninth life or like our universe, Moira's tenth life, yeah. is unclear. Right. What the thousand years in the future is also remains unclear. Presumably we will find out what all of those are right. by the end of the series. But also where they are in particular the the year ten thing. Mm-hmm is an answer to what's going on in House of X. Because mm-hmm. House of X, for all we know, is also happening in Moira's Next Life. Right. Right. Exactly. Whether it's happening in Moira's Next Life or was happening in the life that just ended or some other additional thing. I don't I don't I don't I don't necessarily know. But the weird part is is that I just yeah, I kind of found myself being like, I don't know if I care. I do have to say that the art, which I thought was 
pretty pedestrian at the beginning, particularly for House of X. Uh, I thought I thought the last issue of House of X was pretty effective in a kind of art art reminiscent of some of the the great X Men bits. You know, it felt it felt very kind of somewhere between Byrne and Alan Davisy, but maybe that's just because of the setting or something like that. But I, I, I've really enjoyed especially the House of XR. Uh, Pepper Laraz, unless I'm entirely insane, did a bunch of the um Avengers No Surrender book. Mm. Like the when when Avengers went weekly for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he may have done Avengers No Road Home. Mm-hmm. The much less successful sequel to Avengers No Surrender. Yeah, right. Um uh, uh, by, by that, I don't mean sales. Although I have no, I have no idea how it did sales. Oh, that's wise, funny. But I, I thought that's how you were thinking of it. Huh, funny. No, I was actually meaning creatively. I, I, mm-hmm. I honestly think that it was, uh, it was, it was kind of a hasty follow up. Muddled, mm-hmm. wait, not a hasty follow up, but like muddled and 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 not like no surrender had a very simple but enjoyable like superhero story. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. like with twists that were not surprising. I mean, literally, like Wade genuinely like stole one of his own twists from another comic <laughs> and put it in, but like worked in that setting. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you, you came away from No Surrender and you're like, that was a good Avenger story. Mm-hmm. That was great, right? Mm-hmm. And No Road Home felt pointless mm-hmm. in the end. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like it was done... It felt like it was a, a movie sequel. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it felt because it was done because the first one was a hit. Right. But not because there was actually any reason for it to exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, is, which is a problem. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Now, but, um, no, Laraz, I'm fairly sure Loraz did a bunch of art for that, if not all the art for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like his, I like his art a lot. And, and I think RB... Silva, I think it's doing it uh, for Powers of Ten. I think the art's good as well, and also I think the two artists are similar enough in art styles yes. that again, yeah. like it, it, there's you don't get a big drastic, like you know, it's not like it's Alan Davis and, and Sinkevich. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Right, right. Like you, 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 the cognitive dissonance between the books would would blow your mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm taken as a whole. Like I'm, I'm genuinely tired. <laughs> I am. I'm just like, it's funny because you know when House of X came out and I read issue one early and I was like, holy shit! Mm-hmm. And so when Powers of uh, Ten issue one came out, I was like, I've got to read it. Like House of X blew my mind. This can't stand up to. Holy shit, it did. Yes, right. right. So like, issue two of both books coming, I'm like, gotta read. Mm-hmm. And now we're only on issue four of the comics, and I'm like, I have so many other things to read first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. it's amazing how quickly it has burned out its its welcome with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I again feels feels semi similarly, but maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just am doing it I, kind of like I'm doing it wrong, or maybe I need to change gears. Maybe like, you're doing right. Well, maybe, but I mean, like there's there are other books that. I don't always read immediately, you know, um, and and let a couple of issues pile up, and then I'll dive in oh, and sure. read them. 
Yeah, know? like I'm I'm the same. I only caught up with Immortal Hulk the other uh, like last weekend. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And what? And just so you are you completely caught up? I haven't read this week's issue, but other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm like one issue behind now. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then we will. Uh, we will but no, I, I'm. But like, I. But it's true. Like, I, I, I like was a couple of issues behind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was like, no, I like, I still love it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just, it's, you know, reality. Sometimes you just don't stay on top of things. Yes. And you, you drop behind. You know, there's. Uh, I caught up in a bunch of books this week, actually. Oh really? Uh, I caught up like uh, Josh Williamson's Flash, which I had kind of lost me for a while, and it's mm. probably um, I'm now up to date with Tom King's Batman again. Mm. I'm actually ahead. I've read next week's issue, and I love next week's issue. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I really, really, really like it. This is this um, is one of the many reasons that makes it very difficult for me to talk about Tom King with you, Graham. Is a not yeah, not not only do we sort of tend to disagree about his stuff, but you're always one issue ahead, so I'm always kind of off footed in terms of being able I, to I I'll I'll tell you why I like it. Okay. Which, which doesn't spoil anything. Okay. It's one of the quote unquote interlude issues. Mm. Uh it's King and Clayman. It's separate from the majority of the City of Bane storyline. Hmm. And it is very much what I liked about Tom King's Batman for the first, like, 50 issues, which is it is a character piece about how Bruce and Selina interact. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I'm actually really enjoying City of Bane as well Mm. as an overall story. Mm -hmm. But there's something about this interlude issue uh, that not only did I really like it, I came away going, oh, I can't wait for Batman Catwoman. Mm. Like, I felt renewed. I felt recharged. Hmm. Well, that's good. I definitely feel like the storyline... The storyline needs that, and certainly, you know, Batman Catwoman needs that, I think, if it's going to... If that transition's going to happen successfully, so... Yeah. Um, But no, it it felt... It also felt very removed from, like, the book from the last year, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, it felt much lighter... Because mm-hmm. King has, I mean, drastically leaned into "quote unquote" darkness mm-hmm. since since the wedding, mm-hmm. like you know, to parodic levels, really. Mm-hmm. And this issue is not like this issue is much closer in tone to like the issue where uh, Bruce and Selina go on the double date with Lois and Clark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that also is like, oh, good, <laughs> right? You know, like, oh, thank God. No, that that was kind of my response after reading it. Yeah, yeah, no, I I can uh, see like, that. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Great. Sure, great. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Did you? Are you? I think last time we had talked about it, you were kind of like, "Yeah, I'm off, and I'm not sure I'm ever coming back." Uh, the Green Lantern, the Morrison Liam Sharp. Um, um, I am back for the weirdest, dullest reason ever. <laughs> Which is, I'm really curious about the Black Stars thing. Mm. And so I'm back in a very removed sense of, let me see how he does this trick. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of... Do, do, do you know what I'm talking about or not? Uh, yes, if I, if I understand I correctly. Context for, yeah, for I think the, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the Green Lantern is ending with issue 12. Mm-hmm. And it is being replaced by a three-part miniseries called Green Lantern Black Stars, in which the history of the DC Universe is rewritten so that the Green Lanterns never existed. Hmm. And Hal Jordan is instead a member of the Black Stars, who are like the villainous sort of cult cops that featured really early in the, the series. Yes. That's so funny. I thought it was going to be, I didn't realize that it was only three issues. I thought it was going yeah. to be some sort of kind of like the green lantern, like some sort of quote unquote ongoing that will end at no. some point. Okay. It's, it's, it's three issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm just curious about the mechanics of it mm-hmm. because as a whole, honestly, the book is kind of leaving me cold. Oh, the book like, seems, like Liam, yeah. Like Liam Sharp, Liam Sharp's great. Yeah, fabulous. Sharp and Olaf are doing a great job with the art. Yeah. There are some fun ideas from Morrison, but like even Morrison feels disengaged from the writing. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I feel it 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 feels very in the weeds. Like there are parts that I really actually enjoyed issue 10 a lot in a way that kind of yeah yeah where it's kind of the the multiversal green lantern core and admittedly some of that is the enjoying like the hippie green lantern and the various other stuff like yeah because honestly like the multiverse stuff is always fun like i i'm not i had the same feeling which is like i felt very warmly about that issue but i'm also very aware that a lot of that is i'm just a sucker for a good multiverse story right Right, right, right. But then issue 11, because it did not read to me like a good multiverse story, I was just like, what the hell? Like, there was a real strong element in in issue 11 for me. Because, of course, like you said, they're building towards the Black Stars. There's this big multiversal super big deal that's happening in the return of the or the emergence of the antimatter dude but issue 11 is this crazy ass um morrison playing with the idea of the grail myth um and it, and it's and it and it just not only did it, it part of it was it didn't work for me and part of it was kind of that feeling of like Morrison decided was going to try and serve two masters and then left the one master out in the cold. And that master were the people reading the green lantern story. Like it felt like it was going to be like, Oh, this is a, this is a big moving point forward for Morrison in terms of what he's saying about something related to multiversity and the nature of stories. And of course the, the generative, both the grail myth and the Don Quixote myth seem to be these like really big signifiers, but in ways that I just was like, I don't like, I was, you know, you just, I don't know, Graham, this is not how you. No, no, but no, but, but it's, it's like, for example, Don Quixote is like specifically referenced in issue 11. Yes. Like, like, uh, Star Sapphire from Earth, not ours, uh, like makes a specific reference to like, are you familiar with? Yeah. Like Donna Quixote, right? Right. Right. It's, 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 yeah. Which is the, one of the funniest jokes in the issue, I think is to me. Yeah. 
is that but it's like he, you know, Morrison isn't even hiding what he's doing. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, like yeah. he's putting it out there. He's like, you guys, like this, this is what I'm. This is the story I'm referencing. This is this is the thing I'm. I, this is the story I'm telling. Right. But I see. Here's the thing. I still liked it. I did. Well, I'm glad. I, in large part because honestly, I didn't. I. Yeah, this is going to sound terrible. I don't care about the subtext because, again, I just like a good multiverse story. Right. Like, genuinely, really. Like, sure. show me Green Lantern teaming up with Green Lantern, teaming up with Green Lantern with, I mean, really, a villain who is – who looks like like Morrison fan fiction. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, like, there's a lot about 10-11 that reads like someone else wrote it who had read Morrison's Superman Beyond from Final Crisis. Right, yeah. Like, do you get that as well, or is that just me? This, like, it reads like oh, yeah. you know, cover itself. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, oh, definitely 10. I'm like, oh, right. No, 11 as well, because 11 is, there's a, there is a bunch of stuff in Superman yeah, Beyond that is, this, yeah. Mm-hmm. You get, like, all the supervillain monologue and everything in, in 11, which feels very like Superman Beyond to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it's, yeah, it, it's, it it feels this it's weird like all of the green lantern in some way feels like a morrison morrison doing a cover version of himself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is it is odd yeah. like it 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 feels very much like he is i don't know disengaged to the point where he, he is just being like i'll recycle this i'll recycle this well i think and and i I could be wrong. I sort of wonder the extent to which the Green Lantern feels to him like, oh, there's like three or four different ways that I'm going to move forward on this that are the sorts of things that engage him, but doesn't necessarily. Like, I I do think that, that Morrison, by the time, for me, by the time he gets to the end of Batman Inc., like, he has written his feelings into a corner with DC, I guess, you know, like I, I feel that multiversity. Yeah, I, is... I, I think that's very true. I, I, yeah. I would say yeah. multiversity kind of stands apart from that, but also you've got to remember multiversity was written before, but the end exactly. Of yeah. So I kind of feel that this might be post Batman Inc. Morrison has realized that, he can only really take the characters so far. And I feel like he is trying to get to someplace else. And I do wonder if maybe that, that the, the Don Quixote slash seeker of the grail slash hero villain that is in issue 11 is Morrison kind of trying to figure out, or trying to figure out the, the next way of working through it, which is essentially if the story is the grail, but the story is corrupt, w- what happens? Like Morrison has a, but, but it's not, in... no, again, it's not no literally Superman beyond. Uh, I don't think so. Cause I think, I think what happens with what I think what happens with Superman beyond is, is that, um, Superman as as a character, it, it, the, the idea of Superman is one of the few things that he is literally able to fight in the idea realm as an idea. 
And so therefore the existence of Superman is, is as an Ur myth is a myth that, that is necessary to fight back darkness that literally by believing in good, that gives us something to combat darkness. Right. But, you know, then with, with Batman Inc, like the end of it is very much this idea of the whole at the heart of Batman, the, 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 the whole at the center of things is mm -hmm. this, is this idea that these stories can be, never end and so essentially just keep breaking down or becoming corrupted and i feel like the idea like morrison morrison is tr hopefully trying to figure out a way in which the 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 idea of an of an of an ultimate purifier or an ultimate purification can happen within the context of a comic book. And it could be that sort of in the same way that Batman RIP leads into Batman Inc. And you essentially have Batman going through the black mass before he goes mm -hmm. through the purification ritual. Maybe that's also what's happening here with the Green Lantern, but it's so uh, disassociated. Um, also, if just to prove to you that I'm speaking complete gobbledy gibberish, uh, I do want to mention that the joke that I'm referring to in Green Lantern 11, which hopefully you can prove me wrong, uh, is the idea that because that that Star Sapphire, which Hal Jordan's like, hey, I think we should bone, is not Carol Ferris. That is actually the female version of Hal Jordan from the universe where all the genders are flipped. So Hal Jordan is trying to have sex with himself, basically in issue 11, where he's like, I, I feel this strong attraction to you. The idea that she comes from the universe where all the genders are flipped with Donna Quixote instead of Don Quixote means that she couldn't be Carol, right? Yeah, it is because uh, Earth Eleven is definitely the world where genders are reversed. Uh, so okay, right, even right. if that is not Carol, it whoever it is is male on Hal's world. Yeah. So Hal's whole hey, have, have we met? Should we hook up? It, the the punchline is is clearly meant to be like no. I actually didn't think it was Hal. I thought it was Kyle. Oh, that would make sense because, of course, there's hair color differences. It was, it was other black hair. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, I thought yeah. it's Kyle. Oh, that's uh, better. Yeah, but but yes, the the, the joke is Donna Quixote because right, like the genders are flipped. Yeah, got it. Okay, good. We're on it. We're on, on the same page. I think your joke is it's still it's still whoever that Star Sapphire is, they know not to sleep with Hal Jordan, which I thought was pretty funny. My reasons, of course, are. Uh, okay, well, Graham, thank you. Thank you for answering that. Yeah, I have no idea. Morrison, it, it does, it's a shame because it is, as you said, Liam Sharp's art is fabulous. And, and you know, it's, Morrison is a very, I, I always felt like he was a Green Lantern fan in the same way that he was a Flash fan. And so for this to be such a kind of, you know, mostly disappointing, kind of half interesting, 
unengaged cover band version is is a is a bummer is is definitely a bummer uh, right it's it's such a it's it is such a disappointment mhm mhm which is and it's it's odd it's but you know we'll we'll see where it goes maybe i mean i feel like he's building a lot of course to the the dark star stuff um but the dark star stuff also that's the thing i thought cuz dark stars was announced what last month yeah and so i thought the dark stars would be for one of a better way of putting it, organic, and therefore there would be something about it in issue eleven. Yeah, in that that's the second last issue, and there's not. Yeah, yeah. Well, because there's a whole bunch of other stuff with the dark stars that then sort of fades into the background. There's also there's also that whole thing where it feels like Morrison is stealing from the Wachowskis where, you know, Hal's already encountered the head of the Black Black Stars who's kind of like, yes, you've already lost and you don't even know it and everything you do because of the inevitability, you know, you now already serve me and have no will is kind of, um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. But part of me is kind of like, even when that was happening, I was like, yeah, I'm weirdly disengaged from this. Graham, let me tell you a comic, a superhero comic even, that I was not disengaged with. And Please uh, do. I will mention, I should mention, um, one of the things that I had said back when the Netflix shows got canceled, um, particularly, was I was like, geez, if Marvel was on it, they would immediately announce a season four of daredevil comic book i think that they have, have you been reading zadarsky's daredevil <laughs> i've read the first trade no fear which is issues i think one through five maybe it's one through six i feel like marvel's trades are like five issues now um no fear and it is a i enjoyed it tremendously b i i say zadarsky and that is really um, I mean, you know, it's a it's it's a big pile of, you know, turds when when I tend to shorthand with just the writer when there's so many people involved in the book. But I have to say, Marco Chiquetto and Sonny Gao, uh, Chiquetto's the artist and Sonny Gao's the color artist, are fabulous on this book. The the yes. the but the book is amazing. Jeff. Yes, the book is amazing. It is really good. And it is also for me very much for people who like the Daredevil TV show, which I know you were not, but I am. The, it is it is right in line with everything most people liked about the Daredevil TV show. Right down to having Frank Castle, the Punisher, very much be uh, John Bernthal's version of the character. Um, it's very... It was... It's really satisfying. Zdarsky is a to me. It's always surprising what a really good writer he is. "Quote unquote straight." You know what I mean? Like he can th humor is threaded through Daredevil, No Fear, but there's just a lot of real intelligence to the way that he he tells this particular story, and it really was. A real gripping read, which was great. Mm -hmm. So I take it you're on top of it as well. Yes, or... uh, and I, I, I really liked. Um, actually, I found myself to be a late era Daredevil fan. Mm. I wouldn't have said I was a particular Daredevil fan uh, really until Wade Run. Mm -hmm. 
and specifically Wade and Samney, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Then through Marvel Unlimited, I found myself completely sucked into Charles Sewell's run. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I did not expect that to be the case at all. Because I was like, I don't really like Daredevil. I like that run by Wade and Samley, but you know, I'm not really a Daredevil fan. Soul's run completely sucked me in. Mm-hmm. I picked up the Zdarsky, the Zdarsky, tough for me to say, run actually based off of how much I enjoyed his Marvel 2 and 1. Mm-hmm. Which worked for me in so far as, actually worked for me on a, on a lot of levels mm-hmm. but the one that really pulled me in was there was an emotional depth and a sadness underneath the mm-hmm. the banter mm-hmm. that that I didn't expect like I like Zdarsky as a humorist a lot mm-hmm. he's very funny I think he's very um, blunt and what uh Kind? Kind isn't the right thing. Because mm-hmm. he, he goes for, like, water on the surface cruel jokes. Mm-hmm. But they're never cruel. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there, there's always something underneath them. Mm-hmm. And and it's very often the comedy of of fear and a comedy of, of anxiety mm. that, that really, I really enjoy. It really gets to me. But nonetheless, seeing in Marvel 2 and 1 him dealing with the pain that, that Ben and Johnny were going through so deftly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, you know, especially in comparison with Dan Slott, when Dan Slott breaks Fantastic Four back, it's like, oh, these characters feel like they are, car- like, you know, photocopies of what Zdarsky was doing with them. Mm-hmm. But because that, I was like, I, I'm, okay, I'm, I'll, sure, he's doing Daredevil, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see what I think. And it's just really good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just really good chef yeah um there's a it's uh you're right about saying like you know there's there's comedy in it Mm -hmm. but it feels just all it feels very real Mm -hmm. it's comedy insofar as like people are funny yes exactly you know even when things are shit people can be funny yeah but it's not a comedy book yeah but it's also not uh you know I am so serious. This is realism. Realism means you can't smile book either. Well, one of the things that I think is just one of the the best little bits is after tussling with the Punisher, um, Daredevil, who's pretty much on the run for the first arc, grabs one of the Punisher's shirts. And so you see him out there and he's kind of like, you know, this is a character who's being pushed to the edge. And here he is wearing this, you know, Punisher skull shirt on his chest and then the Daredevil mask. And you're like, um, it, it's just that kind of weird, like, it seems like a symbol of what he's going through. And then a few pages later, um, people were like, yeah, you know, we could tell you were messed up because you were running around with, you know, because he says to them, like, oh, I encountered the Punisher. And they're like, we know. We could tell by the skull on his shirt, and on your shirt. And he's like, oh, there was a skull on my shirt? Like, yeah. I didn't notice. And 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 that is such a good – that's such a good – I mean, it, it's such a good little character bit. It's such a good, like, that's the kind of thing that you write a Daredevil comic for or read a Daredevil comic for, you know, is that this is a guy – who is blind and some of the things that he 
can't know how to notice. There's a great little four pager by Zdarsky himself called Sense of Self at the end of issue one, which is it's it's all but a two page story. But each story, each page is told twice, once from our regular view and once from Matt's point of view. And it's such a fun little, you know, everyone has most artists have fun with how do you tell, you know, that that sort of point of view from Matt's view for with the yeah. radar sense but Zdarsky by using the lettering in it to create the shapes of the of the objects and also I think because he somehow decides to use that weirdly Ditko-esque lettering choice it just was really great it was it really was uh like I kept expecting him to sort of come back and have more little backup stories, and he didn't. It just seemed like it was kind of, uh, oh, yeah, I've got four pages. Here's the thing I've always wanted to do, and and it really worked. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really like the book a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's really um... – it's very complex, and I don't mean that in the like it's overly complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean in the sense of like it's really messy in the yeah. best way, right? Right. You know, which which is kind of great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's funny because again, part of me is, uh, you know, Daredevil is always kind of constantly, um, on the verge of that sort of messy things are too grim kind of angle being done to death. But I feel like Zdarsky's and his team are really walking an amazing tightrope act with it so far. And, and it gives me a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to pull it off, but we'll see. Maybe not. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I think Zdarsky's actually turned out to be uh, an amazing writer at Marvel. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I, I, you know, I, I think what he's been doing on, on various books has been really, really kind of remarkable. You know, uh, I, yeah. I did, am I right in saying you picked up uh, the Spider-Man life story? Uh, no, so, I've, I, I, you and I, because you and I talked about it. What happened was I was going to buy it during that Marvel fifty percent off sale, and yeah. then I saw the trade collection, the digital copy was going to be like under ten bucks, and it was still going to be cheaper than buying all the individual issues at 50% off, which is just nuts. Like, But so I was like, well, I'm just going to pre-order that. So I think I'll be reading it next month. What I should do is jump in and I have all of the the trades collecting Sadarsky's run on uh, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. Or... Oh, it's so good. Right, and I, the first I few issues, I, yeah, and a lot yeah. of people did, and so I'm like, well, I clearly have to dig into that. So, yeah, um, I really, really, really like that. And to be honest, I really like the replacement book, the Tom Taylor um, Spider-Man book. Really, because you know, you and I talked about what a big old flop that first issue was. I, I think it, you said the I, second issue picked up, but yeah, I, I came back to it uh, mm-hmm. for reasons that I can't talk about, but are work-related. Um, <laughs> I, it's it's one of those things that I honestly don't know when it's dropping, but there's a Tom Taylor thing I'm doing at some point. Oh, okay. Um, so I was like, I'm going to read lots of Tom Taylor, and that was on them. Um, and uh, I I liked it a lot more it, when I read more of it, like cumulatively. Mm-hmm. The first issue 
didn't really work for me. And honestly, a bunch of that was the art, to be honest. Mm. But um, yeah, it, I, it, and even the art grew on me mm. the more I read it. So yeah, it, it's 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 not. I preferred Zdarsky's Spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, but it's it's a fun book. Mm-hmm. I, part of it is I'm not a Spider-Man fan like you are. Yes, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so a bad Spider-Man book is a bad Spider-Man book to me. <laughs> but that no, but do you know what I mean? Like, that means something different for me than it does for you. Yeah, absolutely. No, I do. I I was snickering because yes. I was imagining myself fulfilling that role and being like, whereas for me, it's a war crime, an atrocity. Uh, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, well, I, I was actually coming at it from the other point of view, which is like your affection for the character. Well, you know, you'll find something in it that I wouldn't. Oh, I see. Yeah, I guess that, yeah. I guess that's the double-edged sword, right? I either find something in it or I will condemn it with all the filthy expletives. Like, for example, Savage Avengers number five, which is... <laughs> You're still reading that, huh? uh, You know, I wasn't going to. I dropped it at issue four. I was like, no, this is no. Did you you forget to drop it, though? Is this this traditional thing where you actually, like, stay subscribed and then you're like, oh, shit, I might as well just read it now then? You know know what it was? um, Was between issue four and issue five, it was – he announced Patrick Zercher announced that he was going to be coming in as the new artist on Savage Avengers, which I think is a really, it's a really super good choice, you know, for an artist for the book. Diodato, I, 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 it's, I, it's not even, it's somewhere between not as strong as hot and cold on and not nearly as weak as I'm lukewarm about. There's stuff about Diodato's stuff that every once in a while he has spikes of like, I'm like, oh, I, I really like that. I like looking at this. I like looking at this page. And then the rest of it is just like watching someone unroll, um, you know, a, 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 a bolt of second rate wallpaper in front of me. So it's, so I run, but so I was going to, but I'm like, okay, searchers coming on. This is the end of the arc. Why don't I read it? And uh, God damn it. If I didn't enjoy the crap out of it, like, I don't think it's a good comic really, but <laughs> I wouldn't call it good. However, uh, no, but, but in terms of it being, it ended up finally being uh, like, all the other issues were sort of intermittently enjoyable, um, you know, to lesser or greater degrees with like four being the one where I was like, there's barely anything about this to like. But then in issue five, I'm like, oh, this is, I like this. I like that moment. I like this and I like that moment. And God help me. I like this stupid book. So, so yeah, I really, I really had a good time with it. So that was my sense in the sense of that may very well be the fact that I have a certain fondness for Conan and then piling them up with a bunch of characters that I, I, I was like, there's no way this is going to work. And yet for whatever reason, it, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> touche. Yeah, enough said, true believer. No, it, it really. It's Jerry Duggan's writing that, right? Yeah, he is. He is. I, as part of my, I'm going to catch up on lots of things. I read the entirety of Infinity Wars. Was that the name of his crossover? I think so. I mean, who can with, tell? With, with Diodato. Like a... with, with, right. with Mike Diodato. Oh, okay. Um, 
that's uh, that was terrible. Yeah, See, <laughs> like that, that was that was like a legitimately bad comic. Yeah. I couldn't quite believe that it got published in the way in which it got published, which is to say, no one thought Jerry, do you want to put an actual story in here mm-hmm. at any point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, which sort of makes sense, but. Even like, because I hear people say a lot of good stuff about him, and I haven't really cracked his Deadpool. But the few times I sort of half peeked at it, I'm like, eh, it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't fry my burger. It's not going to work. But for whatever reason, issue five of Savage Avengers struck exactly the right tone between um, goofy and grim. And and it's weird because I definitely know that I feel, you know, one of my complaints was I feel like every time, you know, Marvel is like, oh, let's let's put, uh, you know, Wolverine and Punisher and Elektra on a team. It'll be gangbusters. And it's just the people writing it. It's always inevitably terrible because people are like, OK, can't just all be grim. It's got to be goofy. But it's. But then somehow they never they just don't manage to make it work. And and issue five and more than half the of the first five issues, I would say, did not work. But because the last one worked the best, I was like, OK, I'm I'm going to I'll who knows? Maybe I'll maybe this will end up being an, like a consistently enjoyable read for me. You'll notice I just can't I keep steering away from the words good. You know, because I just yeah, but that's but uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying Savage Avengers is never going to be good. Right, but you know exactly no, no. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Like yeah. there's something about sure. the very nature of it's Conan and superheroes, but they're the superheroes who kill. But they're not the only superheroes who kill. Because don't forget, Strike Force is launching next month. <laughs> you know, like it's something about that where like it's so trashy that you don't want a good comic. Right, you no. want a fun comic. You right. But you want you do you want something that really does is fun in that way that is sufficiently. You know what it is. It really is being like. How is this going to be trashy fun? That's going to be goofy and grim, but also kind of I don't know. Like the first storyline did a really good job of tying some of did a better job of putting Conan in the Marvel universe than I would have thought. So I can't imagine it's, I just feel like it's a deferred car wreck, but let's just, I'm going to keep in there until they've thoroughly wrecked the car. It's stunning that they've managed to make it this far. Um, I should also mention for people, uh, as long as I'm a talking a lot about comics and particularly talking about stuff that I liked and, uh, I liked and that I f- is relatively uh, indefensible. Um, I read the first volume of Yuki Mino's My Pink is Overflowing, which I admit I bought because it was cheap and because the title was My Pink is Overflowing, which I thought was <laughs> the funniest title ever. Um, and I ended up immediately turning around as soon as I read issue one, volume one and buying issues, volumes two and three. And, and, and did your pink overflow? 
I I would have yes I had I had to call the pink plumber because my 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 pink overflowed across the floor. It's it's a romance manga that I know you know I'm a sucker for those. I'm also a sucker for romance mangas where either a the story and characterization are super solid and really enjoyable, or b the opposite where it's somehow still enjoyable and my pink is overflowing is great i described it to someone on jay taban on on twitter uh i described it as the volume one is being like 300 pages of two nervous dogs trying to sniff each other's butts and it that is metaphorically entirely apt there is a uh woman who wants to be in love and wants to be loved madly by someone, but keeps taking her romantic uh, needs, keep being taken advantage of by ne'er do wells who like sleep with her and dump her or are in other relationships. And so she decides that she is going to uh, basically try and sleep with, find a virgin and sleep with them so that she won't be always compared to other women. Um, and it turns out that her uh, impressively sort of fussy and aloof boss, who, of course, you know, this is a romance manga, of course, the object of her affection is going to be aloof and fussy. Um, turns out they find they find out that he is she finds out he's a virgin and she basically says, like, let me be your girlfriend um, you know, I just want to be with you and I'll totally make you happy and I'll be, I'll be the perfect girlfriend for you. And he's like, but I'm incredibly fussy and aloof. And she's like, that doesn't matter. And he's like, somehow that has warmed the cockles of my heart. And now the next four <laughs> now pages, I am convinced. now, yeah, exactly. The next four pages are covered in sparkle effects and, and I've never felt this way before. And it goes on from there with barely a story like even the whole like oh gosh did i read it wrong did i get him the wrong cake on the wrong day kind of thing is like the stakes are absurdly lower and yet weirdly enough that's part of what's so enjoyable about it because as soon as this sort of model is set up one of the things that's very uh enjoyable about the romance manga is how much so many of the romantic cliches that I'm used to seeing kind of get avoided because you have like five pages of, oh no, what if boss thinks that I'm, you know, too slatternly? And then, you know, there's like, why is he now being aloof? Is it something that I did wrong? He must think I'm too slatternly. And then, of course, he's like, I think you were the most beautiful woman I've ever known. And then they're like, ah, sparkle effects. It's great Graham I gotta tell you the first three volumes by the time you get to the end of volume three I was like this shit's still going and like the author was like okay okay maybe I'll introduce some drama okay fine fine I'll introduce something that's dramatic but like by that point it's kind of too late and it was okay I, I wait I need clarity this shit's still going is a negative right no no I well yes and no I mean it's kind of so so there's Cause I couldn't tell. I couldn't right. tell. No, I know. I, well, yes. I, I, it, there's a certain expression of disbelief. Let's put it this way. There are manga where, especially where the, 
the manga is the woman is like, I really want someone to fall in love with me, you know, and one of the characters is a virgin. You think when it comes time that they sleep together and he says to her, I truly love you. It's like, okay, mission accomplished. Like the death stars blown up. We can all go home. And then it goes on and you're like, wait, where, where is this going to go? What's going to happen? And I, you know, if nothing else, I, the guy who read something like 32 volumes of S and M know that, that manga can be drawn out to lengths like far beyond where all good sense should have intervened. Uh, you know, it's now they're a couple, they're living together. And I swear to God, I don't even remember what the drama is by the end of the volume. Oh, there's one volume where he has to go out with the regional boss and she seems like she's into him. And of course, our girl worries like, oh, but is is she going to try and take advantage of him at the dinner? No, he will be faithful. I know him. And he's like, I'll be home right at 830. And then, of course... He, she sits up for like three hours and he doesn't come. And when he comes home at 1230, he's not only drunk, but he's stinking of her, the other woman's perfume. And you're kind of like, okay, that's, you know, like kind of like, oh, they're going to drag this out. And then literally in like two pages, it gets resolved. And I'm like, so that's where they're going to go, basically. Is <laughs> you're just... like, what is the point of this comic anymore? Well, I mean, I know that the point was that my pink is overflowing is not an inaccurate title, despite the fact that it makes it seem like there's going to be about 95% more sexy times than there actually are in the comic. But it it is a it's it's the story equivalent of war of slipping into a warm bath. You know what I mean? Like you get into a warm bath, you kind of lower yourself down and then there's the ah and that's that's it chapter after chapter of ah ah ah, ah. it there is no the the lack of dramatic stakes is precisely the point it is entirely a story tonic of of gentle romantic fantasy and and on the one hand i'm i I really did. I adored it. I I tore through this all three volumes, um, you know. But I have to admit, there were only three volumes on Comixology, and by the time I got, I was getting toward the end of volume three. I'm like, this is perfect. This was just what I needed. Three. Exactly. I'm done now. Yes, exactly. And they're like coming up in volume four. I'm like, what do you mean volume four? <laughs> But, but why about? would you? Why, why would, would you? you? And I mean, and I get it. Some people are like, why not? Let's just, you well, know. But that's just, just it. Like you just bath. described. You yeah. just, well, that's just it. You described it as the equivalent of a warm bath. That sounds nice and relaxing to yeah. me. Absolutely. I agree. And so some people are like, well, why don't you just keep doing that? And who knows? Maybe they will. But there is that point where, you know, warm baths they are, they're fabulous, but you either stay in them too long and you start feeling like you get a headache and you're all, you realize your skin's all pruney, or even if you're doing it where you're taking them on consecutive nights, you know, there's a certain point where you're just kind of like, I, I, 
there may be such a thing as too much of a good thing. You know what I mean? Which is admittedly the the anti credo of comic books. But uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, so I loved it. I really did. I uh, for people, Graham, you might give it a try. Volume one. Well, no, that's, that's right? just, like you're, I feel like you're. Tr- I feel like you're trying to talk me out of it, and yet in doing so, making it seem appealing. It's a strange <laughs> thing. It's like, is this some sort of like mind game you're playing with me? It what? could be. It could what is be. Here? Yeah, yeah, this My is it. God. I'm finally playing the rules with you, Graham McMillan. I've had enough of telling you stuff that I've liked and you being like, ah, I will never read that. And so instead, I have to do this very complicated. Excuse me. I read lots of Vinland Saga, which I meant to ask you, have you watched the cartoon yet? No, I have not. Have you? No, but it's on Amazon. And I keep yes, on yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah. Meaning to. And then literally I'll get distracted by, Jeff, I'm watching so many other things right now. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, but it's like, it's there. And it's one of those things where I'm like, eventually I will. Like, I, I will one day get around to actually watching. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Although part of me is, I think, I've, as I've mentioned before, I'm the sort of person where it's like if I read the manga, I don't necessarily need to watch the anime, which is a shame because people who do both do get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And there is a lot to be said for, um, you know, on the Internet. I'm like, oh, now that, you know, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is taking off, there's some really awesome GIFs and audio clips from that, you know, but... At the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I've got my fond memories of the manga, and I've got all the weirdo other volumes of JoJo's that I haven't read yet. So, you know, like, there's only so much time. So, Vin- the fact that I am still haven't finished Vinland Saga, despite having all the books, is is itself a, a sign that I shouldn't actually hang out to, to read the anime. My goal is I we have Amazon Prime for approximately till the till the end of the month, and so I've got to tear through the yeah, boys. I was say, you, yeah, yeah, you better. Yeah, I got to hustle. Watch. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of stuff to watch in a very short period of time. What have you been watching, Graham? You can also talk about comic books, but as Let's long see, as what have I been the, watching? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching not on Amazon. Um, <laughs> I've shared with you before, Jeff, my love of like unusual shows. <laughs> Yes. There's a show on Netflix called Million Pound Menu. Everyone in Britain is like, that's on Channel 4. Yes, it is. There's a show in America (laughs) called a Netflix original, which is a British show called Million Pound Menu, which is Dragon's Den for for restaurants. And I watch it not only because the show is is entertaining in and of itself, but because of the hosts, Jeff. Mm -hmm. The host is a French uh, restaurateur called Fred Siru, who is so effortlessly enthusiastic about life that whenever I feel down, I just have to watch him talk to the camera about anything. And I feel better. <laughs> That's wonderful. He, he over-enunciates everything. He gestures wildly. And he is, like, shockingly enthusiastic. So the the gimmick of this show, of Million Pound Menu, is in the first season, it was two... People, two sets of people who want to open a restaurant get their own pop-ups and they essentially compete for um, who uh, venture capitalists are going to fund. Mm-hmm. And then the second season is just one. Mm. There's like a competition on the start between three people and then one of them gets to go ahead to have the pop-up restaurant. Mm-hmm. 
And the, it's basically baked into the formula that they will not be very good at the restaurant business for whatever reason. Mm. Like, it's fake drama. It's reality TV drama, right? Right, right. And, it's, you know, it's anything from, like, oh, their service isn't fast enough to, oh, they didn't have someone greeting people when they came in through the door or whatever. Mm-hmm. This French dude's friend is in there. And he will, like, turn to the camera and be really enthusiastic and be like, oh, look, there's no one greeting them. This is a disaster. <laughs> but so happily. <laughs> that, like, everything seems great. Like, he's like, oh, maybe no one's going to fund them. Then all their dreams will go up in smoke. <laughs> like, oh, I hope that happens. That sounds great. <laughs> it's so, it's life-affirming. This man is life-affirming. Wow. Because of my love of this man, mm-hmm. uh, I, I discovered that in the UK, he also did a, a road trip travel show with Gordon Ramsay and another chef. Oh, my God. Him and – because, of course, he sounds like the like the chipper, upbeat version of Gordon Ramsay, of course. So. Well, Gordon Ramsay is secretly like a big softy because he is, right. of course, Scottish, right? Right. Like he pretends to be a dick and he is instead like unbelievably sentimental, mm. uh, which is like I also watch Hell's Kitchen. Like the the Gordon Ramsay, you know, right. uh, no, not Hell's Kitchen, Master Chef. That's the show I'm meaning. Oh, okay. like you know, you know, where they bring everyone is like he's twenty people, and you know, which one of them is the best amateur chef in America? And again, just reality trash. But I'm completely there for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was one contestant who was nineteen, and in order to be in the competition, his family basically like disowned him. Because oh, they're like, you're never going to amount to anything. And to prove it, we will disown you for going into this contest. Which is shocking, right? Like, genuinely yes. shocking. Yeah. And he gets pretty far in the contest. And I'm, a, like, again, Scottish, utterly sentimental sucker for this kid. Like, he's 19, and here he is, like, cooking all these amazing things. And, you know, at one point, they bring everyone's family in, but no one comes in for him. And, like, he's crying. And, Jeff, I'm losing it as well. Oh, man. Right? Man. And, you know, they, he goes home and he's like, he really has, he's been like abandoned by his family. Oh, and I'm like, like, you can't just cut him loose. You can't. And Gordon Ramsay's like, because I believe in you, we're going to sit down and we're going to find you something. And I was like, yes, please do that. <laughs> Again, incredibly sentimental. Anyway, this Frenchman and Gordon Ramsay and this other chef did this road trip Wait, show. Wait, there's another chef? Yeah, he's um, he's someone I have no idea who he is. He's a Italian chef I've never heard of. Oh, because uh, there's that – isn't there like – sorry to interrupt, but wasn't there – or did I hallucinate this? Wasn't there a, a road show where it was like Gwyneth Paltrow and the – what's his name? Marco oh, Duda, I, the spotted pig guy? Oh, I don't know about that. I oh. thought you were talking about the, the um, John Favreau chef show where Gwyneth Paltrow admits that she has no idea which Marvel movie she's in. Yeah, that was great, but no, 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 that no, no. Was, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's this there's this Italian dude who I can't remember, and there's mm-hmm. this Fred, the optimistic Frenchman, and there's Gordon Ramsay, and they go on a tour, and it's like it's never come out in America, but of course someone's put it on on YouTube or or some like Daily Motion, I think, instead of YouTube. Uh-huh. Uh, so I've been watching that because again, just just show me this man being. Effortlessly enthusiastic about everything. Yeah, every even the parts where, because again, it's a reality show. The the narrative needs him to be upset at someone. Uh huh. He's someone in like the most happy way. <laughs> I can't you did that. That's terrible. And you're like you're not upset at all. You're really happy. And it's like oh, I know this is terrible. Oh no, it's terrible. 
That okay. man, Jeff, has given me life. <laughs> this is going to be like a very uh, like a very stressful work week for various reasons that, mm-hmm. that I'll tell you all off mic. But but like this man's optimism and and Jwadaviv has has just has given me life. Uh, at the same time, Netflix has brought back the Great British Bake Off. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that Netflix is now funding it because they actually have characters say on on screen the Great British Baking Show because you can't say the Great British Bake Off in America because Bake Off is a copyrighted term in America. For really? anyone who's watching the show's retitled here, yes. Huh. It's some some flower maker maybe? Yeah. Someone owns some some company that makes food owns the term bake off. Uh, and they are shits for doing so, let's say. Yeah, that. Which, yeah, which is why the show has to be retitled in America. But they now have the host saying the American title on screen. I see. But uh, that wonderful. And in fact, you follow Calamity John on Twitter, right? I do, yeah. Calamity John midweek had a breakdown of all the contestants in this week's ba- this year's Bake Off, uh-huh. which hilarious, but also entirely right. Wow! So I mean that I need to send you that, so you should put it in the show notes. Okay, because anyone who's watching Bake Off should see that tweet thread because he is one hundred percent right. Mm. Um, and on an entirely different note, there's a British crime show called No Offense mm. that I've been working through, mm-hmm. and I. Love it, mm. love it with with a, a completely unnatural passion. It is exactly how you do long form fiction mm. for me, or serialized fiction, I should say, because it's only like six or seven episodes a season. Right. Um, but the way they build the tension, the way that they, because none of it's really mysteries per se, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, the first season is there's a serial rapist who mm-hmm. preys on on women with Down syndrome. And the second season is uh, there is someone is essentially attacking a crime boss and then trying to ignite a, a, cry, a war between rival gangs in the city. Mm-hmm. And the third season is uh, – someone murders one of the police people, one of the cast in the first episode mm. and what happens as a result of that. But like, they know who did it. It's how do they catch them after that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, and it's never like, you know, who done it. it. It's more the process mm-hmm. and, and what happens to fuck them up along the way. But it's just, it's so good, Jeff. <laughs> it's so, so good. It's by Paul Abbott, who you may or may not know. Uh, yes, although I can't tell you from where, um, uh, he's, he's not, it's not, he's not Luther, is he? Is that? Uh, no, he did Cracker, if you remember Cracker. Oh yeah, of course. I, God, I love Cracker. Wait, that guy's yeah. still alive? Hold on. Yes. No. That's. He might not, he, no, he didn't, he didn't cre- create Cracker, he wrote episodes of Cracker. Oh, wrote episodes of, cause you know, Cracker was a little bit of a, um, you know, uh, what do I want to say? Like, no, uh, I want to say Jimmy McGovern wrote Cracker, didn't Yeah, he? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, why no. I was like, wait, no, there's no it, way yeah. Jimmy McGovern's still alive. No. But, you know, maybe Paul, is. Paul, is he? Is Paul, do you remember him dead? I don't think he is. <laughs> he He's not, but I just remember looking at him in the behind-the-scenes features. He you know? definitely, no, he is definitely alive. Um, Paul, Abbott, Paul Abbott is the other writer of Cracker, basically. I see. Uh, but he also wrote, like, he's written a lot of "quote unquote" prestige British shows. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote "State of Play," which you probably saw. 
Mm. That's like, that like early 2000s. Um, he wrote the British version of Shameless. Uh, he did Clocking Off. All of these are shows that, again, if you're British, you'll know, and if you're not, you'll have no idea. Um, or, no offense, or if you're Edie, because, of course, Edie has seen both State of Play and Shameless. Uh, it, so, I think so both the British her, and the American versions. So. so tell her that the, the guy who created those shows does a police show. Uh, and it's it's amazing, and she has to watch it, and she'll 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 be like, well, "How do we watch it?" And the answer is, you have to get it on DVD in America. Are you sure? Because I uh, it's it's on um, Acorn. If you want to subscribe, to I was Acorn. about to say she subscribes to Acorn. I think she's oh, been she watching No Offense. Yeah, then, exactly. then yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on Acorn. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, uh, you should watch Jeff. I should. It, genu- it genuinely is, if nothing else. From a writer standpoint, mm-hmm. just watching how they they thread the the narrative through, mm-hmm. uh, and knowing when to ratchet up the tension and when to pull back, it's masterfully done. Interesting. It's okay. really, really, really wonderfully done. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, th- those are the shows that I've been completely watching. Reading wise, uh, I said I caught up in Immortal Hulk. I said I caught up in Flash, um, Justice League, like Hawkspox. I've been reading a bunch of things that I have to read for work for future, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of stuff that hasn't come out yet. Um, I read the Harley Quinn Breaking Glass book, which I think I talked about before. If I didn't, it's the Mariko Tamaki oh, yeah. right. graphic yeah. novel for young readers, which is great. Mm-hmm. Just And if nothing else, everyone should pick up to leaf through for the art. Mm-hmm. C.P.U. is an amazing artist, but this might be his best art job yet. Wow. The, the art is, is just, I mean, beautiful genuinely beautiful uh it's the point where if he doesn't get nominated for awards for this it's an outrage Mm. it's 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 just such a beautiful book um i have i literally have a pile of things i've been reading here sparrowhawk it's a collection of the boom series Mm -hmm. which describes itself in the back as teen victorian fairy fight club which honestly is a good description of what's inside. Wow, really? To, to be perfectly honest with you. Huh. Um, I'm not sure I really liked it, but for those who like that sort of thing, it's well done, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally read The Magician's graphic novel, the the graphic novel that kind of adapts the Lev Grossman book. Mm-hmm. Alistair Gisson PSB acted, um, which I actually enjoyed a lot. Um, I, the, I got an advanced copy of something called The Blue Road, A Fable of Migration. Hmm. which is coming out from Arsenal Pulp Press, which is, I mean, I'm not sure the subject matter is necessarily going to be appealing to a lot of people uh, who listen to this podcast. It is, it's, uh, A Fable of Migration is a really good description. It, it's essentially a story of, a sort of magical realist story uh, uh, about, migration in sort of the broadest terms it, mm-hmm. it, they, they they do turn it into sort of a fairy tale so it's you know there's a mystical path and you can go down these roads and these roads take you to different lives um, but the reason I'm mentioning it is the art is by someone called April Delanoshi Milne and it is a staggeringly beautiful book mm-hmm. the, the visual just visually it's amazing it is something that is again should be picked up to look for the art alone it, it's such a beautifully, beautifully illustrated book. Um, I also read Corin uh, Shadmi, who's a, a guy who's done a few graphic novels. Um, 
has done a, a biography of Rod Serling hmm. called The Twilight Man that's coming out from Humanoids that I really liked. Hmm. I liked a lot. Do I have a, a release date on this? I do not because that would that would make sense. <laughs> let's see if we can find when this is this book's actually coming out. Uh, come on, internet, don't let me down. This one I find out it's probably already come out and I didn't realize. Right. No, to- October eighth is coming out. Mm. Um, it is. It is both a very well done biography of Serling, uh, and done in such a way that it is very knowingly nods towards the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. but doesn't feel gimmicky. That's an amazing needle you know, thread. Like it's 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 structured like a Twilight Zone story, hmm. down to down to the point of like the dun 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 last minute you know right shock, um, but in such a way that you, like you you go along with it like you 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 give it that, hmm. um, but it's also a very good biography of Serling. I, I really really enjoyed it, hmm. um, and the last thing I actually have to see if I can talk about the last thing or not because I don't. Uh, I'm trying. I'm genuinely trying to work out if this thing has been announced or it's just something that I knew about. They have announced it. That's good. Um, 2080's Owners Rebellion bought the IPC and Fleetway back catalog two years ago now. Mm-hmm. They found when they bought it that there was a lot of stuff in there that no one really remembered and knew about. Right. Including a whole trove of war stories illustrated by Hugo Pratt in the 1950s and 60s. Holy shit. Really? And I got an arc of the first volume mm. of the reprints. They're going to reprint it as Hugo, Pratt, Hugo Pratt's War Picture Library. Wow. Is what the series is going to be called. It's He apparently illustrated a bunch of the like digest mm-hmm. war stories. Um, and you know, unsurprisingly, these are beautiful comics. Yeah, yeah, I would like, think. They're beautiful comics. Holy it, shit. It's, it's, I mean, I actually have to look at when Hugo Pratt's was, you know, when was he famous for one of a better way of putting it? What was the work that, that made his, I mean, Carto Matisse, but when was that? Yeah, Carto Matisse, but I, I have to admit, be, being... Carto Matisse looks yeah. like it was late 60s. Right. So this is, this is like... You know, this this particular one was like five years before that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it's not in like it's not it is recognizable as Hugo Pratt, but also not immediately recognizable as Hugo Pratt, if mm-hmm. that makes sense, right? But it's just masterful black and white line work. Mm-hmm. I mean, just amazingly so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that book, this book, is not out until. February 2020. Hmm. So it's really some distance away. But uh, it's it's one of those things where you just leaf through it again and again going, oh my God, look at this art. Oh my God, look at this art. This, wow. this is amazing. Yeah, just over and over and over again. That's stunning. Um, yeah, it's and apparently like there's a lot of it. Apparently he he did this for years. He was working on these stuff, and, and people just forgot. <laughs> wow, which is just nuts, right? Yeah, well, it says so much about the field in so many ways. But holy smokes, wow! Like, like Rebellion didn't know they had this when they bought it, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Jesus. And then they found it because they were looking through, the, like, l- they apparently just got, you know, boxes of comics. Wow. As, as part of this thing, they're looking through it. And they're like, holy shit, it's that Hugo Pratt. Holy God, that is stunning. That's an amazing discovery. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's coming out as um, as a hardcover mm-hmm. in, in February 2020. And it's just, yeah, it's good. It's really good, Jeff. <laughs> Um, so it, it's been funny. I've been reading a lot of stuff that's um, like isn't coming out. I've been reading a lot of stuff that's outside my comfort zone, mm-hmm. which is always nice and always good to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always it's always good to to be like, okay, you know, traditionally I read X, Y, or Z. Like I've been reading a lot of 2008 recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I reread all of Rob Williams' Suicide Squad because I basically I was reading a lot of Rob Williams' Dreads, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I liked Suicide Squad as well. Luckily, Hoopla exists. I can get all of Rob Williams' Suicide Squad in five books. Wow, nice. You know, like, so I can read all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also nice every now and again to do stuff outside and go, yeah, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm seeing things that are alien to my frame of reference or that, like, I, I, I do not like, but I'll try and find some value in. Mm-hmm. On the opposite side of that, I also got sent the collected edition of Batman Damned. Oh, hey. Which, honestly, I didn't even know it finished. But yeah. apparently it has, because I said the collected edition. Um, and that's definitely something that is, I guess, pretty, question mark. Uh, <laughs> and here's the strange thing. They also sent me the collected edition of the Batman Who Laughs. Mm. And here's the odd thing. I would like to recommend this book to anyone with an interest in graphic design because the design of that book is lovely. Hmm. It's it's really, really nice. And also so nice that I noticed the design of the book, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, no, no. Exactly. Like the chapter yeah. breaks mm-hmm. are great. The, the, the material in the back, the back matter, is designed really well. Wow. So, yeah, anyone, anyone with an interest in that, Leaf through that one as well. I feel like I'm saying a lot of like leaf through as opposed to buy, if that makes sense. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you are, but I don't it's know if that's... Where, like there's been a lot of visually, like it's more interesting visually than it is necessarily a good comic, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, and part of it is also, uh, it's much easier to leaf through something and get an idea of like, oh, this is beautiful and I want to own it, as opposed to when you're reading something. You know, that mm-hmm. takes more time to be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm 12 issues into The Immortal Hulk and I've decided, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. It, take, it takes a longer time. But but there is, one of the things that's been nice about reading all these things and seeing all these things is the visual input. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the, the immigration book is is visually very different from anything that, you know, any of the, the major publishers would, would, would print. Um, but it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful illustration. It, it looks like it's, it's, it could be done. It looks like it's New York Times illustrations, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was my frame of reference for it. Mm. But is it comic with that? Um, you know, you see all these things. It's funny, I'm saying this and I'm like, oh yeah, I read Spawn 300 this week. Cause oh, apparently... hey, you got to tell me about you... that. No, no. Um, you know, I think I, I've i mentioned a few times over the years my great 
an abiding frustration with uh, with Spawn because I think it is among the mo- the dullest comics ever made. And yet, it's, it's like I, I had such difficulty reading the fucking comic, mm-hmm. and also like so much quote unquote happened, mm-hmm. but without any real frame of reference. Mm-hmm. It's just like sure. Like I'm sure something happens in this comic, but I don't know what it is. My favorite is like the um, spot is naked thing. Oh yeah, somebody ran that tweeted that image, which was hilarious. Uh, it's like this is what I look like. This is what I've always looked like, and you're like, no, though. <laughs> what do you mean, no, though, like, Graham? This is what I look like. This is what I've always looked like. No, you had a fucking costume, Spawn. Well, no, but he's. I don't know. I I I know what you mean, but no, I mean. Well, I don't know, actually, with the costume. That's such a, that's such a, like, tough call. I mean, there was that point where the costume was alive so that, you know, the thing that bums me out about Spawn is it's clear, like, reading it, I'm like, oh, man, Todd McFarlane was just as big a Jim Starlin fan as I was. Like, this is so his attempt to do, like, shit in the cosmic warlock you know there are no good guys there's just shades of gray kind of yeah cosmic chess pieces thing and then you read it and it's like man it's, again i'm basing this off of like i don't know i think i'm you know have dipped in and out you know like read the first 15 issues and then dipped in and out over the next oh yeah i i, I literally think yeah. this might have been the first issue i spawned i've read since like the Dave Sim issue. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure I've read Spawn in between there because, like, you know, we are talking yeah. 25 years. Ago. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure I must have read some Spawn in there. Yeah. yeah. But I honestly can't, rem- like, I can't think why I would have. Right. So maybe I didn't. And also, I don't remember it, which is another reason why I think I probably didn't. Yeah. But yeah, going into, I literally read issue 300 because it went back to press. I don't know if you saw that. Like there, there was an announcement that it's it. That mm. There's a second printing. Like the day it sold out within a day. Um, and I was writing up for THR, mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm just gonna fucking read it. Like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy it. Read wow, it. Like, holy shit, Graham! And then you, you were know, like, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> that was a huge mistake. Yeah, no, but it really was. I really did have this moment of like. Why did I do that? Like, I, I not only did I not have to do that to write the story, but I now feel honestly kind of more confused. About <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, it's but it's it's kind of wacky to me. A that is Image's best-selling title right now. B, as of the next issue, it becomes the longest-running creator-owned title in comics history. I think. Right. Because it'll be three hundred and one. Yeah. So it'll be Cerebus. Um, and, and see, like, kind of that it's still, kind of like, it doesn't, and again, I've not read this comic, right? Mm-hmm. But it still feels like it's the same flavor of comic it was when it first started. Like, don't get me wrong, I feel the superhero trappings are pretty much stripped away, and McFarlane wants it to be much more of a supernatural slash horror slash, like, someone who masturbated over heavy metal covers as a teenager comic. Mm-hmm. But it still feels weirdly consistent to the whatever the vision was. I was about to say, 
that's kind of how the first 18 to 20 yeah, no, issues like, read like, but exactly. just with like, you know, but like with a little but more superhero super, outfit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah no. that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's something admirable, horrifying, somewhere between the two. Yeah, I'm, I, that, I, that, it is, I, that it is still true to itself, if that makes sense. I guess. I mean, I suppose. I, I, I think that to me, there's, there's a lot of, part of me is like, first off, McFarlane has been the writer for 300 issues. He has he, not. No, he keeps fucking off and coming back. That's one of my favorite things about Spawn. Right. That Spawn periodically has a Todd's back. <laughs> well, see, that's it. And so my whole thing is like, it's just been continuously published. But like, like you look in and there's times where McFarlane's inking it, but someone else is writing it and someone's drawing it. Or That's like this issue. This issue has like um Jerome Pena inked by Tom McFarlane. Yeah, right? So first off, yuck. And sec second off, I just again, part of me is like the I, whole, I'll be honest. Capullo yeah. inked by Tom McFarlane is much more attractive than I would have thought. Oh yeah. Well, because I mean that's I remember, like, and that's how I know that I've dipped in and out of. Because you read the, a lot of the Capullo stuff, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I, 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 I kept trying. I, I mean, a I, lot of. Yeah. Quote unquote. No, no, no. Enough to where I, I am very proud of myself. Like when Batman was coming out, I'm like, Capullo on Batman is going to be enormous and huge. He is. Yeah, going I, know, to... I, I remember you being like genuinely excited yeah genuinely excited and just like this is going to set the world on fire because reading the spawn issues where capullo was so shackled by mcfarland's boring shitty storytelling like it was just i'm like that god this guy is just this guy's just ready to cut loose he's going to be amazing so part of me is kind of like yeah i can believe it and again also capullo Capullo really, uh, in working on Spawn, again, in that weird way that, you know, I think I've talked about Paul Galassi somehow managing to ultimately out Steranko Steranko. Like, like Capullo just managed to take everything that was, like, all the good stuff about McFarlane. He figured out how to distill it, and then he managed to add in all the other great stuff you know, that is Capullo. And so anyway, all of which is to say, I'd be curious. Part of me is like, I quote unquote, be curious, but as someone who has been burned by McFarlane repeatedly, repeatedly, because I'm like, he's just a muscle head. Like McFarlane, McFarlane is. I I told you about my New York Comic Con Tom McFarlane thing. Like last two years ago, I think. No, I don't think so. Yeah, or you did. I'm, I know you did, but I also know. I had forgot. to. I had to interview him for THR because wow. it was one of the many periods where he's like, "I'm making the Spawn movie." Yes. Yeah. Yep. You know, which is technically he's still making. Oh yeah, but like I, he's been saying that for like 15 years now, right? Yeah. Yep. Um. Then anyway, I I had a, an interview with him, and it was uh, like a 15 minute sit down. Mm-hmm. The last an hour. Because he just wouldn't stop. Wow. And we never ran the interview. Wow. And we never ran the interview for uh, for multiple reasons. But honestly, one of the biggest reasons was I talked to him for an hour. And it was fun for me. Because <laughs> well, he is. Like, I don't want it. It's not that he's a meathead. But it's that he is. 
very set in his ways. Right. But also, when you talk to him, you realize that he's also an old dude and he's an old fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So his points of reference are like are like Roy Thomas doing Infinity Incorporated because that's where he got his start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have this like weird thing where you're like, oh, wait, that's it. Like everyone thinks of you as like 1990s dude, right? But talk to you, and the same is true of Rob Liefeld. Mm-hmm. Talk to you. You're really all about the 1980s. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's shit that A, you grew up on, B, you, you first got published in. And that's where your frame of references are locked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was this thing where, like, I had fun talking to Todd. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it wasn't worth trying to transcribe an hour because there was nothing there newsworthy. Mm-hmm. And the most entertaining parts were parts that no one would understand. Wow. Like, and me would get it and that's it wow this sounds great like we did nothing to with it oh my god but it overran by 45 minutes jeff oh my god like i wish i still had the audio i sadly don't oh you son of a bitch i was like grant you've gotta we'll just run it as his we'll run it as a patreon extra because like yeah i I just want to hear it i honestly honestly do that i wish i'd still had the audio (sighs) i don't this really was two years ago um but you could hear me in the audio, like try and shut it down repeatedly. Right, right, yeah. You know, be like, "Oh, it's really, been really good talk to you," and he'd be like, "And another thing," and then he'd just go. Yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious. I'm not surprised. And when I say that he's, I mean, he's, it's yeah, he's just got, he's just. I mean, I'm one of those guys who actually was like Todd McFarlane's one of the smartest guys in comics. You know, right before he repeatedly blew up his own empire like three fucking times you know but here's the thing like you talk to him and you have the sudden moment where you're like he doesn't give a shit about his empire yeah well like he, he doesn't no he really doesn't because all of it in his mind is his him honestly just being like i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do right like that's it that's honestly how he works I, from talking to him for an hour and hearing what he was saying about various people, so that's another thing. A lot of the interview didn't run because, like, it, it wasn't legally actionable, but it was also stuff that would not have been smart for him to say publicly. Oh, that's a shame. Wow, this is two uh, times a shame. Uh, uh, but it, it's but like he really he really doesn't give a shit. Wow. Like he really doesn't give a shit. He's just like, no, I like I do what I think is smart, and what I think is smart is like very particularly me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I talked to him for that hour, and I was like, I could totally see how you ended up getting the shit suit out, out of you by uh, right. Neil. Gaiman. But also, I can totally see why Neil Gaiman fell for you in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, like you really do. You come away talking to Rob Liefeld's the same. You come away like really charmed by them. Yeah, you you said that about Liefeld. I remember. Yeah, you really do. Though you come away, you're just you're just like, you know, I'm not a big fan of their work, but you know, I wish them all the success in the world. (laughs) It's the weirdest, weirdest thing. But yeah, Spawn three hundred is not good. (laughs) (laughs) Coming back to the subject, Spawn three hundred is not a good comic. The end. Perfect closure. Perfect closure. Hey, uh, so we had to start wrapping this mother up. <laughs> you, you. It's amazing how much you managed to simultaneously channel MC Hammer and not at the same time. Like it really was. Yes, turn this mother out, Graham. <laughs> mother, you have to leave. 
<laughs> Mother. <laughs> it's getting embarrassing. You have to leave. We've all been very polite. We've tried not to say anything, but there started to be a smell. And, <laughs> and I've, I've talked to Tabitha Bagatha. And what, what's that answer joke? Tabitha Bagatha and Agatha? What? Who? Tabitha Bagatha and Agatha? Who are we there's talking a, about? There's, there's an Eddie bit where he's talking about, I think it's cats. Uh, and they're called Tabitha Bagatha and Agatha, but nevertheless. Yes. Uh, oh, you, okay, you actually want me to wrap things up, don't you? Well, no, no, because I want to announce to everyone that oh, uh, our, announce. our Kickstarter of Graham McMillan is starring as the lead in our, my stage adaptation of Psycho is uh, is funding now. And that dramatic reading that you heard, because seriously, you've been like, mother, mother, you're starting to smell. I'm like, yes, Graham, <laughs> you, you can play Norman Bates. It's going to be the it's best. A sequel to Bates Motel, but still a prequel to Psycho. The middle section. Oh my God. Like, yeah, they're just, they're just kind of, it's, it's going to be the, the movie that, that ends just as. Like the vid just as, um. Generally pulls into the thing, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Oh my goodness, you're a genius. Okay, okay, Hollywood's wig makers, you've got to put (laughs) on my head in order to take care of this. No, absolutely not, Graham. You're right, just paint it on. No, Graham. What? I... I, Look, this isn't some Gus Van Sant weird shit. No, we're going to do this right. <laughs> Sorry, I, I forgot when I insult Gus Van Sant, I insult cinema. You're right. <laughs> uh, You're right. If only that were true. Ah, oh, Jesus, <laughs> Gus Van Sant, man. Okay. Anyway, yes. I right now, if Shudwinsky's still listening, he's just like throwing daggers. At well, maybe spot. not. I mean, you know, I don't know about John. He's probably, you know. Drugstore Cowboy, who doesn't like it? Uh, Malo Noche. Actually, I do have to say my own private Idaho. Edie and I rewatched that, and a lot of that holds up better than I remember. It's still not great. It's actually a huge. It's it's you know what it is. It's actually. Oh my kinda... god! Are you literally going to go from it still holds up? It holds up better than I remember, and then you're going to talk yourself into hating it again. You know what it is. I won't talk myself into hating it. What it is is Keanu Reeves's performance holds up better than I remember. I remember thinking that he was terrible, and you know, compared to he's in the same movie as River Phoenix, like, and in the same scenes, and River Phoenix is still great. Uh, but Keanu Reeves is. Um, you know, he's, he's saddled with a lot of stuff that I blame Van Zant for now that much time has passed. Uh, Van Zant, man, that whole, whatever the fuck he was like, oh, and I'll put faux Shakespearean language in everyone's mouths. Like, man, that, that dude, that is, that Gus Van Zant needs a better weed, weed dealer. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Like whoever was providing him that classic Oregon, marijuana that was sprayed with insecticide and made him be like oh i know a shot for shot remake of psycho which i'm down with but then he's like and i'll cast vince vaughn is like oh no this is actually twice tonight where you've said something and i wanted to pivot to a very particular reference and then you kept going and i was like the moment's over. The moment's this, lost. Oh, this I time, mm. when you're talking about um, Ken Reeves, I was going to talk about the fact that I recently rewatched the two Bill and Ted films, and they are they they are fucking great still. 
Mm-hmm. I still love them. Mm-hmm. Earlier, I can't remember what you said, but I wanted to reference that you saw the news about the Joker movie tonight, right? Was there movie? There was news tonight. No, wait, what? It, what was it? It won the Golden Lion at, at the Venice Film Festival. Oh no! Really? Yeah, it did. Yes. Oh, that. Well, I mean, I'm not sure that really means anything, but part of it's, me is like, I mean. It's nuts. What is what is this world we're living in? It's, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's so funny. I feel like, Graham, we almost got out. We almost got out without talking about, like, comics news, which between no, 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 our yeah, weeks no, off and Drock, it's been like a go. month. I don't even let, although remember I, anything. I did, I did want to uh, say that the thing that's happening in Rio de Janeiro is nuts. But you know the most nuts thing about it? What? Do you even know what I'm talking about? The thing no. that's happening in Rio de Janeiro? No. Um, the, there's a book festival happening in Rio de Janeiro right now. There's the the I the book Biennale. I can't remember the official name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mayor of Rio de Janeiro went on Twitter and was like, I demand that all the copies of Avengers The Children's Crusade be withdrawn because it is corrupting our children. Because it's aimed at minors and it features two men kissing in it. Wow. Yes. Right? And it's kind of hilarious because he said this and this turns out to be like the second thing that someone in Rio de Janeiro has said against this book. Which, by the way, has been out since 2016 as a collected edition and 2012 as serialization. Yeah, so like, exactly. This is a book, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, in Rio de Janeiro, like not like it was published in twenty ten to twenty twelve in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he says this, and like everyone's like, mm, and the the Biennale is like, no, fuck you, we're not withdrawing it. But the f- greatest punchline is they can't withdraw it because it's sold out. They don't know in his copies. <laughs> it's literally not there. Wow. Um, what's the wackiest thing about it though? Marvel is refusing to comment. Of course Marvel's refusing to comment. But this is a fucking gimme, Jeff. It's it not for Marvel, man. Not for How Marvel. How can you say that? This is a, a like what is the downside of saying like we stand behind the book that's published? Well, uh, be, like what, we stand against censorship. Where is the downside for that? The, well, the downside is the same downside that was happening with Art Spiegelman's essay and no, I think they're different because in that you basically are pissing off Ike Perlmutter, right? Right, Ike you're pissing Perlmutter, off his friend. You're pissing off his friend who is Donald Trump, right? Yeah, Donald yes. Trump. I'm I'm pretty. Con- I I believe, although I could be wrong, that uh, the mayor of Rio de Janeiro is saying that to curry favor with Bolsonaro and Bolsonaro's uh, party which is also in the same corner and has modeled itself very closely after Trump and the Trump stuff. So uh, I, 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 I mean, honestly if think that's that that really true, up, that's really the reason, yep. then Marvel is even more recoverably than, than I thought. Wow. And Jeff, I had a really, really, really low opinion of Marvel insofar as how cowardly they are. Yeah, no, I know. I know, but I I honestly think that that is that that it is literally the thing of like if they get yelled at for going across, going against 
the the current alliance that that uh, of you know anyway that's my theory we'll see how it pans out but um yeah that's that's i mean and part of it is is like again what kind of gimme is it they just get to say things like yes we stand for you know they're not they don't they don't care about avengers children's crusade like you know they don't care like you know what i mean they miss not like they they risk nothing. They lose nothing. It's a book that came out almost ten years ago. Whereas the flip right? side is they gain nothing. They right? gain the fact that they can at least pretend that they care about this yeah, shit. Yeah, they they've like, got by, other they, ways of pretending that they care that they don't have to worry about them upsetting Promuter to Trump to you know. Well, here's whatever. here's the the funny thing about this story mm-hmm. in terms of timing. One. Uh, Marvel Thousands came out just the other day, right? And it features the first appearance of those characters in a while, <laughs> right? And there, two. It is rumored that the dead body in one of the preview images for Marvel's December incoming book is uh, Wiccan. Oh no, no, Marvel. Ugh. Well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is this is this is all part of their master plan. That would be, hmm, hmm, that's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is, what if, because Marvel's upcoming, you know, can the Marvel, can you solve the mystery before the Marvel superheroes do of the who killed Wiccan? It turns out to be the mayor of Rio de Janeiro, and they've planted the world's most perfect news story right there. But then what ends up happening is, it, and it looks like, oh, we're so brave. But really, they just, you know, some strings were pulled. The mayor's like, sure, it'd be fun to appear in comical comic book. And then, of course, it turns out that he's a squirrel anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And then things pivot. But, you know, I'm telling you, Graham, put me in charge. <laughs> I can toxify these already toxic waters like nobody's business. Let me tell you. There will be show notes for this episode up. Until <laughs> <I go. laughs> Where do you come back after that? Yeah, no, I get it. I get it, Graham. Look, in retrospect, it was the right decision. Even, even I have to agree. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway. Hi, whatnots. Hi. Aren't you glad you listened to this? Aren't you glad you stayed around for two hours to hear that? Actually, you should be. That was worth it. Anyway, there really are going to be show notes for this. Uh, uh, WaitWhatPodcast.com. Uh, if you're waiting for those, if you're just, if you already looked at the show notes and you want something else to look at, we have a Tumblr account, WaitWhatPod.tumblr.com. We have an Instagram account, Instagram.com forward slash WaitWhatPod. And we have a Twitter account at WaitWhatPodcast. Jeff is on Twitter with perils of wisdom like that and countless others <laughs> at Lazy Bastard, at L-A-Z-Y-B-S-T-I-D. I do not have pearls of wisdom, but recently I've started literally just like cutting and pasting either from The Guardian with all the craziness that's been happening in the UK or press releases. So if you want that, I'm at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And Jeff, we are a Patreon-supported podcast. Take it away now. Wow, I don't think I can after that amazing delivery. Uh, yeah, everybody, we are so grateful for coming back from the break uh, with us to listen to us blab about the comics that have been 
keeping us occupied, entertained, and or uh, befuddled uh, for the last couple of weeks. I, I have to say I was very excited to get back on uh, the old Hoover Bloob and uh, talk with talk with uh, my pal Graham about... It feels like it's been forever. It really we said does. this after the last time as well, but it yeah. really does feel like it's been forever. It really does. Well, and it was like I had so many things that I was like, oh, God, got to remember to mention this, got to remember to talk about that. Totally. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I did too. So, you know, and yet we still managed to cobble together a, a podcast. You, which we are super grateful, you are the special ingredient X uh, for us. And um, we should also thank the special ingredient X squared, which are the fine people over on Patreon who uh, throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh to um, make this all happen, uh, as you know, as uh, hopefully you know, because I say it pretty much every time. Uh, the Baxter Building, which was our read-through of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, is a direct result of the support of the five people on Patreon. And the ever-exciting, ever-for-me, mind-expanding uh, current adventure drock which is our read through of judge dread the complete case files uh is also a result of them so i mean really we have a lot to thank them for and i would like to throw a special thanks to empress audrey queen of the galaxy to whom we are especially grateful for continuing support of this podcast and for continuing to keep our little section of the cosmic uh galaxy intact even though it seems with each passing week we deserve it less and less we thank you nonetheless audrey graham audrey if you just want to do something to like sort out the uk right now oh man that'd be great i mean i think everyone even people in the uk would be fine with that just like yep you know, in fact, even as i'm saying this i suddenly thought you know how in marvel comics a thousand there's the eternity mask that's yes. McGuffin. Yeah, that's right. Do you think there's an Empress Audrey mask? That would be wonderful. Although I have to say that I'm 90% sure is the title of a Robin Hitchcock album that I used to own back in the 90s. So, <laughs> uh, Do you want to sing the title track from that, Jeff? <laughs> Empress Audrey mask. It looks like you're wearing an Empress Audrey mask. Oh my god, somehow that was better than I expected. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, not come for the promise of talking about comics? I thought, to be fair, we actually stayed relatively on topic today. Yeah, for we, the most part, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went off sometimes, but we stayed relatively on But come for that, stay for the Robin Hitchcock impressions. <laughs> What's next? Next week, Jeff's going to talk about Richard, what was his name? Richard Johnson? Oh god. I forgot his... Oh, see? It's already gone. Oh. Oh, Jeff, talk to me about uh, English folk musicians some more. Oh, no. I I mean, it, Robin Hitchcock's pretty much the apex for me. I could probably... Would be great is you'd be like, okay, now do Richard Johnson. I'm like, we'll do. I'm like, Empress Audrey Mask. <laughs> You know, because that's pretty much all I could do. I suppose if cornered, I could maybe do some sort of Nick Drake. I don't think so, though. Oh, come on. Do Nick Drake. Do it. Do Nick Drake. (laughs) Empress Audrey Mask. (laughs) 
Empress Audrey oh we're doing We're doing this every week. Uh, every <laughs> week, I'm going to throw at a musician, and you're going to have to improvise. <laughs> Empress Audrey um, one last one for tonight. Do uh, do do Parliament Funkadelic. Do, do, do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can do that. Can I? Empress Audrey Mask. Empress Audrey Mask. Get the funk. Anyway, that's how was that? Was that okay? That wasn't. That was. We're gonna have to cut that. I actually can't even hear you. Are you okay? <laughs> I actually can't make noise. I'm laughing. So much. Um, here's the thing. You think I'm joking about this being a weekly occurrence? No, no, no Graham, this is never happening again. After that every, last one, every, I'm like, I'm barely no. escaping with my life. Every every episode. Every episode. Um, I'll give you I'll give you a week to prepare. Okay. Uh, next time we're doing Prince. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a gimme. Except I can't even get near it. But yeah, okay. Oh yeah, you gotta try to do a high. Come on. Oh, I know. I believe me, Graham. If I could, I would. Cause I. If uh... you could, you would be a professional singer, Jeff. <laughs> But let's 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 not even pretend otherwise. Oh, what not? I'm gonna have to do the buy thing now because otherwise Jeff and I are just gonna go completely off the rails. Uh, thank you all for listening. Really, that was that was the way to end. Like you can't say we didn't save the best to last. Are we, are we back next week? We are, right? We are. We definitely are. I'm not sure with what or how. Like technically, we probably should do a drop, but I don't I don't know if we've got the week. Uh, I actually... Is it a drunk? Oh, God. <laughs> We've got this so is the far off track. Edit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. This, no, uh, we... I suspect, actually... No, it shouldn't be. Oh, thank the you. Last, the last episode you threw out was a drug, so no, it's, it's a regular rate one next week. Okay, fabulous. So join us next week for that. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. there, there was, out of all the bullets that we didn't dodge at this particular episode... Uh, that... oh next, next, next week, it's literally two hours of Jeff doing musical impressions. <laughs> think words Empress Andre Mask in different <laughs> musical stylings. It's going to be like, whose lines anyway? But just with Jeff. Oh, God, no. Listeners, don't listen to him. Just come back next week. Honest, we promise. Graham, sing us out quick. Bye! (laughs) Bye!